Welcome everyone to January 27th, 1990 in the Legacy Series. It is Chattanooga, Tennessee, Saturday night's main event. And sometimes I just want to pause and slow down because I know that we are in moments and eras that we're not going to get back. Uh, in one of my classes, an independent study, a student and I kind of coined the idea of hyper nostalgia uh, to talk about people who are nostalgic for that which is past when it's still present. You love something so much and you understand that it's not going to last forever and you sit in it. And even when you're in it, you're missing it like it's gone. I found myself this week doing that with Saturday night's main event. I'm not going to call anything the greatest wrestling show in the history of wrestling because there are so many good wrestling shows. But is Saturday night's main event not up there with the best? Has there ever been a show that flows so easily that knows what it is and does what it does and does it in an hour Continues stories, hits their marks, leaves you wanting more. For some reason, it just felt like somewhere inside of me that Saturday night's main event belonged to the 1980s. I think without thinking, I thought that it was gone because the 80s was gone. But I found the episode that we're going to talk about to be breezy, to be everything that Saturday night's main event does. You know, primetime wrestling, if we were covering it, we'd be talking about it the same way with Gorilla and Bobby and that long table that will come. The only one, as life seems to be, that really had nothing special, that was just a bunch of matches and stuff, and had a stupid name like Uncooked, Feud, uh, Uncooked Food, is the one that is going to be like the longest episodic running but man, these are special, and this is a special time, and I'm now curious about 1990 because I loved this episode, so I'm wondering one of two things, which we might get into in this show. Is it going to be that 1990 is going to be better than 1989, or are we already in the WWE-styled WrestleMania season where what happens in the first four months has no bearing on what the rest of the year is going to be like. So lots of things going on. I just want to enjoy myself. I just want to recognize that I'm in my favorite decade uh, of my life, that I'm feeling nostalgic, that I started off the morning with a YouTube video where Margaret Hamilton is on Mr. Rogers so that they can convince the world child and adult that you don't have to be afraid of witches. If you just want to be afraid and make believe it's something fun to be. I don't know where that video came from. I don't know how it fits this. But I'm trying to tell you something. As I read G.K. Chesterton and I think about the baptized imagination, I am doing WCW and WWF in 1980s and 1990s because I am trying to redeem an imagination that needed no help when I was a certain age living in a certain time, but has been practically dead for a long time. I'm trying to redeem something. I'm not a savior. I'm not a saint. I'm not even a mystic. It's hard to do redemption. 
And I'm trying to redeem an imagination and I'm watching half dressed men with face paint and and other things try to help me along. It's a funny world, but I know what hits. It's not a reasoning thing. It's a whole different function of the human being, and I'm trying to be there. And you know what helps me? It's this thing called WWF, the Legacy Series. You're listening to it right now. We're going to get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, the hype is back. Grab your shovels because the unearthing continues. I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God. My learned colleague, he is Mr. Ms. Fan, the brain. Greetings, Ms. Fan fans. Welcome indeed to the first Saturday night's main event of the 1990s. And uh, if my friend says he's not even a mystic and then he starts talking about witches and religious <laughs> redemption and all the magic and wildness of this crazy thing we're doing, don't believe him because he is being twice as mystic as he usually is. Um, yeah, we are here to talk about some very interesting, very interesting things indeed. We have Saturday Night's main event, which we'll see Hogan and Warrior teaming up or attempting to against Mr. Perfect and the Genius. We will see the match that we prophesied about, Dusty Rhodes versus Rick Rude. We will see that hard-hitting slugfest bringing Greg the Hammer Valentine and that darkly charismatic Jake Roberts matching up Ron Garvin, Randy Savage, that Macho King, Demolition, Colossal Connection, Ted DiBiase, Rockers, Heart Foundation. Man, this is a very packed show. I'm getting uh, more hyped about it, just talking about it. Huge collection of great names. I don't know if 1990 would be better than 1989. I am a little skeptical, to be honest, but I am willing to be persuaded. So let's see what we've got, my friend. Yeah, man, great, great uh, summary there because we got so many great stars, so many great matches, so many great ideas that, you know, I don't want to rush into it because it feels like a small show, but everything that's inside of it is just wrapped and wrapped with things to talk about and I agree with you. I have well, I have no idea what 1990 is, so I don't know if I'm just like lacking in my history there. I remember the 80s is kind of a block. I remember 91 is where I started watching, so I don't know what it'll be. I know Warrior's going to carry it, so that's going to be questionable. Uh, we've talked. Is this a is this the year of Hogan Earthquake? Uh, yes, it is. So we've had at least some folks in the forums who have told us to at least keep an eye, at least keep one eye on that. So we'll see how that goes. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that January 1990 is not a bad month because, man, I, I enjoyed uh, what we're going to get in today. I, I enjoyed it as well. I enjoyed much of the Royal Rumble also. So it is yeah. a packed month of, uh, of special events. And I'll also say this. This is interesting to me. I just looked this up a little bit ago. Um, we've talked a lot about Warrior. We're like, well... He's popular, he gets pops, it's not really bigger than a lot of the other guys. So I was curious, I looked it up, and this is the second highest rated Saturday Night's main event that they will ever do, and the only one ahead of it is the one right before WrestleMania 3, where Hogan and Andre were in that battle royal together. So I think, regardless of what we are hearing and interpreting with our ears, which I think, which I think is true, I think we have not been disingenuous about that, and yet... The numbers don't lie. Hogan and Warrior 
a very hot feud for a lot of viewers. I think people tuned in to see this specifically. So, I mean, it does tell you something. That's a great point. And I have also heard somewhere, I don't know what year, what month, what stretch of time, how much, but there is a time where Ultimate Warrior will be outselling Hulk Hogan uh, in the merchandise. Mm. So that is also a sign if you're watching uh, and you're on the inside that maybe we need to strike while that warrior iron is hot. Um, I will also say, and this is kind of props to maybe WWF, props to Hogan, and maybe props to Warrior, but I think Warrior has done, I think he's just, I think he's highly governed and he's doing what he's told, but he's not making me sick. Like, this is an episode where the Ultimate Warrior does <laughs> nothing to make me say, like, that guy doesn't belong. High praise indeed of <laughs> a WWF champion that will not make us physically ill. That, I mean, we're talking about the Warriors, so, uh, you know, the bar is low. You know, I'm, I'm not going to turn around and start pretending like he's a guy I enjoy. Uh, I will agree this is uh, one of his less offensive performances that we have seen looking ahead. That's why we are not disingenuous, though, because I was thinking today, like – all he's doing really is following Hogan's pace. Like, we'll see Hogan does a thing, then Warrior does a thing. There's, there's not many ways to mess up. And the anointing, as it were, of the Ultimate Warrior is the fact that he's in a world title feud with Hulk Hogan. And you can like it or not, but in 1990, Hulk Hogan is doing it again because Warrior right now is a little more significant and a little less following his face than he's been at other times. And so... If it was just a normal day, a walk in the park conversation, I would praise him. But like Ms. Van laughing when I said that is even if he got the praise and we gave it without any backhandedness, we're talking about does that mean the man should win the world title at WrestleMania and carry the company and will he be successful? Right. And uh, I mean, I got to imagine in 1990, that was the question backstage. Um, you know, uh, who knows? Sometimes you think, of course, Vince McMahon asks himself these questions. Sometimes you think, no, he probably didn't even, you know, like he just barreled ahead. Um, so who can know? But uh, a lot of people in the company had to be wondering, you know, Warrior, is he going to work out or not? Is he going to flop? Is he going to be bigger than Hogan somehow? Um, you know, you, you just don't know sometimes when you're ahead of the event uh, as opposed to, you know, past it as we are. Well, history records that Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage knew in real time, and mm -hmm. you, you can't let them run the company. They're not in charge of the company, but if Randy Savage and Ted DiBiase think something might be such, is it, it at least deserves one ear, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I would think so as well, but um, you never know. Like when personalities get involved, like there could be, uh, you know, a lack of clear vision, but sometimes there can be some very clear vision. So those two had a strong felt sense and uh, it turned out to be right on the money, literally in this case. <laughs> so this kind of brings me to a conversation I thought about this week. I wasn't sure if I was going to bring it up, but we walked into it. So you got Ultimate Warrior and he is what he is and this is what it is and we're going where we're going. It's 1990, the no brakes are left on this machine. Uh Warrior's going over Hogan, he's going to be our champion. If there was one thing you could change in the character, in the wrestling, in the storyline, in the promos, in in the creation, like you had to say, "Okay, we're going long term with this guy." 
What can we do to make him something that might work long term? Where do you think you would want to go? Like, where do you insert or change or help or assist or make clarity? What do you do and where with the ultimate warrior to give him a better chance? Can I replace the guy doing the gimmick? <laughs> a year or two ago, you could have. But, man, Vincent, man, he likes this guy. Look oh, at this man. body, Miss Man. He's on the <laughs> way. We can't change it now. Uh, I mean, a lot of fans, uh, even some today, I think, uh, believe the Warrior was replaced at one point. So, you know, mm. I'm not saying it's impossible. Uh, barring that, I don't know what you do, because knowing who the Warrior is and how um, just absolutely resistant he was to any kind of advice, to any kind of help, to any kind of common sense, I, I don't know how you... Um, like, how do you sit him down and be like, hey, what if you weren't a terrible wrestler? <laughs> like, how does that conversation go? I can't really wrap my head around that. I don't know. What would you say? Ah, man, I struggled with this as well. Uh, this show was biased towards character development, towards storytelling. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of things are not manageable. You're not going to change him as a wrestler. So what I thought was, can we do something with the man's character you know, can we plant some seeds that could lead to character development? Because right now, I still don't know, honestly, is he from another planet or does he channel another planet? Like, I have no idea even if he's from Earth or not. Like, I understand what pushes Hulk Hogan's buttons. And uh, oftentimes it's Hulk Hogan pushing the buttons because that's what made him a long-term champion is he has learned to get offended. Uh, he does the role of the heel and the baby face. Uh, there's a lot of things. Uh, if you're a Hulkamaniac, for example, that means a lot of things. You train, you say your prayers, you take your vitamins, and we'll find out today you pray for the death and then demise of other people. So there are a lot of things that go on. If you're a little warrior, what does that mean? Are you from another planet? Do you have powers? Do you what, what does it mean? What does it mean to be the ultimate warrior? And so I would want to plant something in his narrative. And I don't even know what. But right now I see him as such a loner that maybe even a little bit of Steve Austin as far as let him dominate as long as he dominates. But does he learn somewhere that if you don't embrace other human beings and you don't open up and you don't do something different like there's going to come a time where there's going to be too many of them and not enough of you. But I just feel like there's nothing in his character or story that would allow for a title ring with nuance and development and change that could make it interesting for the long term. God, I'm just imagining an actual little warrior. Like if you're unlucky enough that your kid liked warrior <laughs> enough to paint his face and and run around screaming and, you know, just talking nonsense like he did. Um, God, you'd be wishing for your little Hulkster back, you know, <laughs> that that little shit would at least just be like, uh, you know, making up grievances against you. But at least you could talk to him. So what a nightmare. Yeah, I don't know. It's just you got to do something. I just don't see. And you can blame the guy because he's part of the problem. But oh, I do. What, what, let's say that he was a great like, he's everything that this Ultimate Warrior is, except he's a better human being and a better wrestler. Mm -hmm. You know, I still don't know that his wrestling Rick Rude and then, you know, whatever else he does and then losing to Sergeant Slaughter. I don't know how much better. Like, it might be more enjoyable to watch 
in the matches, but does anything change about how long he could last as a champion? I don't know. It's a good question. I do think, I don't think we should undersell the ability to have some entertaining matches because especially running around the, you know, the house show circuit, very important at this time. Mm. Um, you know, I think if you have matches that are more entertaining, that maybe have more, um, you know, resale value than warrior matches usually do. I think that does count for something, but, uh, I will say, as much as I do dislike the warrior, when I was watching through his reign the first time, I did get a little bit of that Randy Savage-esque feeling of, like, where are the big angles? You know, where are the hot feuds that maybe Hogan would get if he was in this role? Hogan will get his own, like, big angle, which will in some ways overshadow this reign, um, which is part of the reason the title will come back to him in time, you know, with the thing with Earthquake, which will be successful and will be memorable, what does Warrior get? You know, the, the feud with Rude, which, you know, the whole thing with Rude is like, oh, I beat you before, and now I'm training really hard. And, you know, it's fine. Like, there's some nice little vignettes, but that's not a reason to, like, have a blood feud. Um, and that's, like, his only feud that, that I can think of off the top of my head. And then with Slaughter, which is not even about Slaughter and Warrior, like, it's just like, okay, we're done here. You know, let's move along. Yeah. So, so yeah, I don't know. There, there's something to that but uh we'll just have to watch it in real time and try to figure out what we want to think about that yeah it's complicated uh i agree with the match because one thing that has surprised me what i thought would blow me away whether i enjoyed it personally or not is the energy that the ultimate warrior brings but in re-watching it feels like he brings that energy to his entrance but in his matches, he stands and walks slow a lot. Like, I thought he was going to be, like, high speed all the time. Because I've said it before, my favorite Lex Luger is Babyface Luger, even though everybody says Hill Luger is better, because I love that, like, trifecta of clotheslines. I love the energy that he brings. Mm-hmm. And I thought that's what Warrior would give us, but he plods a lot in his matches. So yeah. he's not even necessarily giving us that. It's more of an entrance thing. And then... Hogan's also had some bad storylines, so, like, he's had some times as a champion where he didn't get, you know, amazing storylines, so, you know, sometimes you all, you gotta be the one that makes it better, because I saw a hint of Dusty Rhodes and Rick Rude, and I think if it was Dusty and Rick Rude, and it wasn't a great storyline, it still would be special, because, I don't know, they pop, they pop some colors, they pop some feelings, uh, just, the, just their contrast create this kind of tension, so I both agree with that as far as, oh, you could give him better storylines as champion, but also, like, you're the man and you went over Hulk Hogan. Like, what role do you have in making the storyline be something? Right, right. Yeah, I think that's definitely true to a certain extent. But then, again, you got to look at Randy Savage as well, who is maybe in the same position. And I don't think, obviously, we would apply any of these shortcomings that Warrior has to Savage. And yet, Savage's reign, though enjoyable was kind of underwhelming, you know, was not what we hoped that it would be because of the way it was presented. So like you say, it is complicated, I think. I do put a lot on Warrior, but I also think even if you are champion over Hulk Hogan in an era of Hulk Hogan, if you're not presented consistently as such, uh, it's just not going to have the same impact that you think it would just by saying that on paper. 
Um, so yeah, I mean, I think Savage uh, will do better than Warrior in just about every way, but there are some similarities there that I want to highlight. And... I just wonder. So Hogan has this amazing feud with Earthquake that some people are into, and it overshadows the Warrior. Well, it's a feud with Earthquake. So Warrior had Andre, and there, it had zero appeal to it. So who's to say that if you gave Warrior the Earthquake feud, that it would have the same appeal that the Hogan Earthquake feud has? Because, mm. you know, Hogan has a way to lift stuff up and make stuff feel a certain type of way. And it's, a, it's very similar to Dusty. Like a lot of these baby faces, Sting and Warrior particularly, they don't act. They might react, and they're acted upon. Folks like Hogan and Dusty get into the mix with the heel. So they, they, they make some things happen on their end, whereas I know with Sting, I know less of Warrior because I've watched him fewer times. It's always like I don't exist. I don't have an agency, and things are happening to me until I finally get fed up, and then I react. And so like that's dead all the time because it's singular. Right. And I'm watching Hogan do the same thing with Warrior. Like Hogan is making Warrior better in a way that if you take Hulk Hogan out and it's Warrior or you flip the side and Warrior carries it, it's not going to feel the same way. So mm. it's also you got to get in there and make it count because it's yours. Yeah, for sure, for sure. But uh, I will I will just say, and I feel weird because it sounds like I'm defending Warrior, and I promise I'm really not because I do think he sucks. I think he would have failed regardless. Um, but uh, you, you talked about Andre. Um, let's look at those feuds for a second. And one, you've got Hogan and Andre. And man, the buildup, the inciting incidents of this feud is like God tier, some of the best booking that you will ever see in your life. They've got Warrior and Andre, and it's like once Andre walked out after a match, he kind of choked Warrior some, and then he wore some face paint. And it's just like you're not going to get the same energy out of that. Um, and you know, it's the time and place, like how is Andre physically, where is he at in his star power high as always, but there's different levels of high even for Andre. So it's apples and oranges to a certain extent, but the main point I want to really drive home is I think you cannot underestimate how important these inciting incidents are. And if you don't have them, I just don't think you can be as successful as a champion as Hogan, who really just like reaped them over and over. And maybe he helped create them. Maybe he just helped sell them. I don't know. But it's a huge benefit that he has to his title reign that we are finding out. These other champions they try out, they don't really get that same treatment. Oh, man, I both agree and disagree. I definitely agree. I don't expect Warrior Andre to be Hogan Andre. That's unfair on a hundred different levels. Mm-hmm. But I expect it to be something, you know. True, true. And, and then, like, what undermines it for me is then when you talk about, oh, he just put on face paint. I see Andre's face in that face paint. I thought, oh, my God, that was special. Like, I thought that popped <laughs> and it was alive. It so, was like, cool. I liked it, you know. But um, it's just a, it's a different level, obviously, like you said. <laughs> So what does Warrior bring? Because that means because I was about to say, well, Andre brought really nothing to it because I, I, all I remember was they wrestled a match and it was a short match, but they did have that kind of build up. So again, this goes back to what I'm saying about building something into the story or character. Mm. Because what does Warrior bring? Like if he wears your face paint and he's standing in front of you, what does that mean that you have to run him over? Well, I'm guessing you're going to run him over because that's what you do in your matches, whether he wears your face paint or not. So what does it mean to this ultimate warrior 
that Andre the Giant put on your face paint and stood in front of you. I still have no idea what that means to you. So I don't know what anything means to the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, well, Jim Duggan summarized it best on our last show. I don't have to do anything different. You know, Warrior is definitely (laughs) one of those characters. Maybe even more so, because at least, even with Duggan, who we both, you know, he he was in that worst, uh, you know, wrestler category for us. But uh, Warrior, I don't even know what, yeah, like you said, what he wants or what he's about. With Duggan, at least I know, you know, he loves America and bullying people, and that's like his life. And that's, you know, okay, I can understand that. I might even meet a person like that. Ultimate Warrior, I know he's supposed to be like a god from outer space or something, but man, just like, yeah, what is he about? What does anything mean to him? I don't know if anything means anything. I don't know if he knows where he is. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. Like, clearly it worked because he will have some success. Like we were talking about, he has this high um, TV rating right here. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to fall apart quickly after, and I think we're touching on a lot of reasons why. Yeah, I mean, I don't need him to be Shawn Michaels. He doesn't need to emote and cry and lose a smile. That would be very weird if that happened. Uh, but, you know, we talk about things that people are given. How many people are given the Intercontinental title to go main event WrestleMania and leave WrestleMania holding all of the singles championships at one time. Like I still don't know what that means to the ultimate warrior character, but that you can bet if Hulk Hogan, you know, we talk about what Andre did. If Hogan's first title reign was becoming IC champion and then knocking off the top baby face and having both belts, you would hear about that. And that would be framed and built and, and just historicized from the next day forward. So, like, what does it mean to the warrior that you did something that nobody in the world of WWF does? I don't know. I don't know what it means. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Man, I don't know if I ever saw the Ultimate Warrior smile in his whole life either. So, Mm. I don't even know if he lost his smile. Would we even know about it? Maybe he lost it already. Yeah, (laughs) but that's even that's interesting, though. Like, you saying maybe he lost it already, like... Could we, could we get backstory about this man? You know, something from his, you know, it doesn't need to be the Dungeon of Doom. If that's his past, leave it in the past. But, like, if we can't do anything in the present, can we at least start to unravel where he comes from, what matters to him? Like, there's got to be a way in that if you're the WWF and even if you have a guy that can't work, can't do much of anything, if you put him on this level, you also need to know what can keep him on the level. And maybe nothing could but like you said, and now we're back around to your side of it, is I don't know that they did much in order to try. Mm, yeah. I'll say this. Um, not so much at this exact time, but at different times, maybe uh, coming up soon, a lot of people will get like vignettes about who they are um, before they come in, or even while they're already people. Yeah, even now, Mr. Perfect is doing these uh, vignettes where like he throws a football and he catches it himself like on the other end of the field, and he could do every sport. So it's already happening. What would those vignettes look like for Ultimate Warrior? I honestly have no idea, and that's to your point. Yeah, maybe you need someone to bring it out of him. Like, that's maybe that is something a Hogan had that Warrior didn't, is like a in-the-prime Bobby Heenan who's trying to come up at the same time as Hulk Hogan. You know, if Warrior maybe had someone who brought another side out of him, because... 
Oh, Mr. Perfect, as far as character development, he came after Warrior, and he has run laps around the Ultimate Warrior in his character development. Hmm. So it yeah. can't just be that nobody's developing right now. <laughs> I think it's that Warrior is particularly uh, resistant to any kind of development. Because that's the thing, too. Like, if you turn on the camera and try to show who Warrior is, is he anybody? Is he even hmm. capable of, like, making these uh, scenes that we're talking about? I don't know if he is. He certainly never shows any signs through his whole career that he is. So, um, you know, maybe they thought about this and then they looked at the warrior and it was like, I don't think we could do that. So, you know, something's working in this moment. Let's just try to make it work. And ultimately it's not going to work, but it's going to work for a little while. So, you know, they, they tried something, I guess, and uh, we know where it's going, but uh, this is the journey we're on. And maybe they are smarter than us, and we just wasted 30 minutes of our podcast and the lives of our listeners. <laughs> because <laughs> It just hit me, though. When he comes back in 96, he's going to demand his comic book be sold, and all of the stuff is like he wants to get his ideas out there, and they're words that make no sense. So uh, I think he's going to try to do uh, what we're asking him to do in 1996, and we're going to wish that he would just walk in circles in the promo <laughs> so we don't have to look at him or listen to him. Yeah, maybe they tried to do a vignette with him, and he insisted on, like, naked Santa and all this other weird stuff, and they were just like, let's not do that. It's so strange, because when he's pacing around Gene Erkland and Hulk Hogan, at first I think it's awkward, but then I think at least it's unique, and then you don't have to look at him. He's not required to make the right face at the right time or say the right thing at the right time. So it's almost like... If he would never slow down and he would just be in motion, it could work. But if he ever has to stand still, it's over. Mm. Well, he definitely has to walk slowly because he's tired after running to the ring. So, you know, we're going to have to see that face eventually. I feel like we have done. You know, we are going out of our way to have as many Ultimate Warrior conversations from as many angles. So, you know, we're doing the best that we can. Uh, to try to understand the phenomenon. And it, it is a phenomenon. And Miss fans kicked that off, man. It, it is uh, the second highest rated uh, Saturday Night's main event. And somewhere he's moving more merchandise than Hulk Hogan. So it is a phenomenon. But, you know, flash in the pan is a flash. So <laughs> I think I've never... We've never had this exact experience before because we've even asked, like, viewers, like, what's up with Ultimate Warrior? And quite a few people have been like, yeah, I was a fan at the time, and nobody is really able to explain it very well. So maybe it's, like, the ultimate, you had to be there, like, the right age, the right time, the right place. I don't know. Um, but it existed, and it's just really hard to wrap your head around now, I think. Not, not impossible. You can catch, like, glimpses of it, but... Just for fans like us, I think it's really hard to actually feel it in any kind of meaningful way. I was a fan of Warrior at some point, I think. And oh, my God. Even you. Even you. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And you can't explain it either because you're here saying all the, the worst things more than me even half the time. So, my God. Tell me about that. Can you? I don't know if it was a fan of Warrior or a fan of what Warrior could have been. Okay. Because it feels like a swell of something. So you got to take his push, his speed, his potential. Like, I am a human being that cares about potential. I'm always thinking about potential. And if you don't look hard at the Ultimate Warrior, it's like there's a lot of potential. Like, in, is there power? You know, the, is it something from another world? Is it something in his philosophy? Is it the look? Is it what he can do? He, you know, he put poor Triple H in uh, 
a predicament that would have to be explained for the rest of his life. That's why you like him. Okay, uh, I, yeah. I got it. <laughs> I think that might have been it. Um, you know, it's, it's almost like with Rick Rude as well. Like Rick Rude has a lot more talent. But as far as, like, if you looked at Rick Rude's trunks and you didn't like anything else, and he wore, like, his best trunks, you can get lost in, like, the images and the color. And it's like, oh, my God, that's cool. All that blue, all that this, all that that. And, like, Warrior, like, if you look at the overcoat – or you look at the face paint, or like he's running and it's making a sound and like adrenaline. But it was always, and this is why the world title win works better than the world title reign, because you get caught up in a moment. Mm. But if you follow that moment, you realize it goes nowhere. Mm. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that's okay. That helps me a little bit. Um, it's definitely a guy who will lack staying power in the end. But, yeah, the color, the movement, it catches your eye. You know, it does. So I, I, I can kind of see where that comes in. Like, we had a tornado watch last night. I hate tornadoes. But mm. it was raining so hard on the rooftop, on the windows. And I ran to the window. Like, I'm looking outside. Things are blowing. Leaves are everywhere. Trees are bending. And, like, I was called up in it. And then about 20 minutes later, it was over, and I forgot it happened. Mm. And that's the ultimate warrior. <laughs> Sound and fury signifying nothing. Interesting. Yes. And so far, like you said, we've been waiting. Like We have gotten zero, I think, adult responses to why you would like him as an adult, because children are not the only people watching, and yet people might have liked him as a, fan, or as a child, but we've not really got that... Uh, deep dive into why you ought to be able to appreciate him from the other side. Maybe, maybe you can't really, or uh, I would say can't cause I'm sure some people do, but uh, yeah, uh, maybe he really is for the children mostly, um, you know, more so than Hogan, who I think you can't appreciate uh, even if you don't necessarily still like the guy. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's just what it is. It's a weird thing because Sting, uh, Sting, of course, is a lot better than the Ultimate Warrior, especially in the ring. Yeah. But I've always believed, especially after WCW, the Legacy Series, that it was Cactus Jack and especially Vader that did more for Sting than Ric Flair, even though Ric Flair gets the credit. Mm-hmm. Like, I was watching 1980s promos of Sting yesterday, and they are as bad as anything that you can find in the history of the world. <laughs> so... If Sting was just this 80s guy and then he got this title reign, I would still have some of the thoughts. I would think he's a lot better match, so that's going to save a lot of things. But they're both idiots in the 1980s in a way that is unprecedented. Like it's, It really is almost this Venice Beach kind of dumb blonde stereotype. <laughs> and Sting, I think, actually is weirdly better in feuds where he can bite people and go to the white castle of fear and get really mad, you know, than he ever was at, especially being a world champion, which he flopped at all the time. But if Sting was in the eighties, I don't care that he's nice to everybody. Like that's not my thing as a fan that I need to figure out. If I'm just looking at the camera and what he did on TV, like, I don't think that he had the substance at this time either. Like, he's a better wrestler, but, like, his substance was a lot like this. So, you know, if you got Sting who wants to get better but was that bad, and you got Ultimate Warrior who's that bad and doesn't want to get better, like, every road I walk down just tells me that Ultimate Warrior's not going to get better. Mm, yeah. And uh, I'll certainly say this first thing. I never had any trouble finding out who he was. He made it very clear. Yes. 
Uh, even when he was supposed to be other things, he could never stop being Sting. Um, I'm watching in uh, 1998 right now, and just to see Crow Sting, who was so cool in 97 when he was not speaking and not wrestling, he gets in the ring and he yammers on and he crotch chops and he, he does the little click symbols. And I'm like, man, you don't have a clue. And that's so sting. So I know exactly who you are. Just get your surfboard. Stop pretending <laughs> you watch this movie. I don't think you ever actually watched the movie, you know, just be honest with yourself. So you always know who sting is ultimate warrior, you know, who the hell knows. Yeah. That's a great point. Scott Hall watched the movie sting wore the gimmick. <laughs> so, so that's different. Yep. Yeah, Sting, man. He, I don't even know when Jim Carrey came along. So I want to say he's a bad Jim Carrey in the '80s, but he might. I don't know if Jim Carrey was Jim Carrey or yeah, not. Jim, so Jim Carrey was a good, um, a good Sting, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, maybe so. But he's just—it's weird. He's a—he's a jokester, and uh, he makes a lot of noises. I watched one where Benjamin Button sent me one where Flair is kind of Sting calls out Flair, and Flair dresses Sting down in a, in a quite embarrassing way, but. I don't even know if Sting got it. Like he's just kind of making noises and looking around, and a lot of jokes that aren't jokes, but he's laughing and stuff like that. So it's just see the look on his face. Oh man! I don't know where these men came from. Like somebody spotted them. I don't understand how bodybuilders get spotted because you would think if you spotted bodybuilders that looked like they should be wrestlers based on their bodies, it would be every bodybuilder. <laughs> so like I don't know how you know you get these particulars, but these two revolutionize the business in ways it's almost impossible to talk about. Sure. Like how in the world were they a tag team that could not work, that nobody liked in the beginning, and that one of them wanted to get better. The other one was told to go home because you're not going to be a wrestler. And they go their separate ways, and then they both end up world champion in the top two promotions in America in the same year. It is it's an astounding thing that people don't talk about. Yeah. But my God, it happened, and it happened like that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely nuts. I think about that sometimes. Not often. I don't like to think about Sting or Ultimate Warrior too much. <laughs> but uh, but I am struck at times by that that weirdness. Yeah. If one of them got there, that's a big deal. If both of them get there, and at the same time, and one of them supposedly wanted to get better all the time, and one did not, and yet identical paces, identical timelines... And Sting gets it just after, but if he didn't get injured, I think he would have got it just before. Mm -hmm. Or maybe in a, maybe in like a month. Like, I don't even know. Like, it would have been in the spring, so it would have been, like, next, next door to each other. Like, by the month or the week or something. And it's the such, most amazing part of all is that still neither of them were good when they did uh, it. So. <laughs> they both flopped. I think Warriors would have a slightly longer title reign. Uh, Sting, though. Sting would flop. Sting would flop. I'm the only person... I'm not telling you feelings. I'm telling you facts. I'm telling you look at house attendance. I'm telling you look at Sting's behavior. Sting flopped. And I, I think a lot of people, I think Luger probably would have flopped. We'll never know because he didn't get that shot. But, you know, Sting flopped. Warrior flopped. So maybe we'll learn from that, you know. We're going we're gonna to talk about uh, bonus matches. And so it's weird to me. Uh, we're going to watch the Hearts and the Rockers. And it's going to be 18 days before the NWA has that round robin tournament mm. to see who will be the wrestler to carry wrestling into the 1990s. And Sting and Lex Luger have been hyped for three years to carry it. And who would have thought 
when you're watching a Rockers Heart Foundation match that you're just as much watching two guys that will carry the company company for the next 10 years mm. in Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart as you are these guys who are being hyped and primed and everything. So strange. It's just strange to me, like watching all these stories unfold. <laughs> it is strange. We talked about um, how, especially on the WWF side, uh, they're not making it very clear who will lead the 90s, you know, you think it'd be Warrior, you think it'll be Hogan again, you know, but uh, they're going to have a big shift, and I'll tell you two guys who maybe were thinking that they're going to lead the 90s is uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart, because mm. I got to say, I thought both of them, we talked in that Hart-Hennig match about, like, kind of a proven ground where guys uh, came out and they kind of had something to say, I think uh, that that was true to some extent here as well. Uh, this is the Heart Rockers versus the Hearts. It is November 25th, 1989, dipping back into the 80s ever so slightly. It is Madison Square Garden. I posted the link on Twitter and on uh, www.lpforums.com, so check it out with us. But, yeah, we got this tag match to kick off our bonus footage here. Yeah, this is going to be a fun one to talk about because I think it's Babyface versus Babyface. It is, you know. with all Babyfaces in the booth also. So Yeah. My God, it's babyface running wild here. This is the world yeah. that they all want to have and they can never get. Yeah, they can't. Say, you'll find out what happens by the end of the match when they get their oral. <laughs> yep. Exactly. Oh, I do want to say one thing really quick because it's just the funny world that we're in. So, you know, like with with uh, Hart and Michaels coming up and then you got Sting and Luger coming up in worlds that feel so far apart. Yet in 1994, it's going to be Lex Luger and Bret Hart, who are going to go over the top rope together at the Royal Rumble. And 95, Luger will be next to last eliminated and Shawn Michaels' first win. So I don't know how you get from uh, the Rockers versus the Hart Foundation and Sting and Luger determining who will be the NWA slash WCW guy to Lex Luger putting over Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels back-to-back years. But, you know, we'll figure it out as we go. But that it's just fascinating because some are so primed and some – it's going to take like culture itself changing and Vince McMahon being on trial for the door to open for the guys that we're about to talk about. Yeah, very true. And, you know, uh, it's weird to think where these people would have landed if uh, that shift hadn't occurred. I, I can't even really imagine that world, a world where, you know, the, the only the big muscle guys get to continue on in the WWF and then, uh, I guess Brett and Sean fight over the Intercontinental Championship until they die or something. But um, we do get the change, and I got to say I'm glad for it. I don't think I want really want to live through that other new gen, which is just new muscle guys. You know, let, let's get some changes up in here. Yeah, it's not sustainable. I think Diesel will be the weird compromise of trying to make it work again, and we'll see. <laughs> We'll see who works best uh, amongst that group when we get there. Yes, a tall but not muscular guy. Um, <laughs> you know, what if you went the other way and, and hired some uh, some short muscular guys? You could have gone for Taz or Benoit or something. Nice. So, I think Vince would be appalled by that. <laughs> it's, almost a, it's an insult to the muscles. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, you're right. You're right. Okay, here's a question then. Let's say Vince McMahon was born eight or nine inches shorter. <laughs> but he was still the bodybuilding guy. Do you think he would be more open to the, the Benoit Taz guys, or would he have the same opinion? I think he would have made Giant Gonzalez champion um, just to make up for his own <laughs> shortcomings. I think he would have gone the other direction. That is wild. And he probably wouldn't let himself be in the announce booth because he'd be ashamed to the product. 
He's sitting out a phone phone book or something. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh god, I wish this stuff was was humor and not probably reality. <laughs> oh gosh, good stuff. Uh, so we're in Madison Square Garden on commentary. We have Gorilla Monsoon and of all people, Hillbilly Jim. Um, they are having a great time together. I gotta say, I love commentary on these kind of like. These shows are almost not within the canon of what's happening at this time because they're only seen by, like, certain people in that New York area, and uh, they kind of don't exist in, like, the larger scheme of things. So these guys can just kind of enjoy themselves. I, I enjoyed this commentary a lot. I'll just say that. I don't have a special love for Hillbilly Jim or anything. But here, this is two guys enjoying themselves. Uh, in one of these matches, they will just, like, roast the referee alive, and uh, I, I was really enjoying that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's easy. I think Gorilla Monsoon does good with that easy vibe, and it seems mm-hmm. like uh, Hillbilly does as well. Uh, I wouldn't want it all the time, but I, I enjoyed uh, the team as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I probably could take it a lot of the time, but, you know, you, there's there's a lot of value to the other kind of commentaries, of course, like Ventura um wouldn't be exactly like easy like this and he would be different too so yeah there's so many different good styles but i, I do enjoy seeing this uh every now and then um so uh, i'll say i remember i i think we watched the rockers heart foundation match before and uh it was all right i think this one i got a better vibe out of it i don't know if it's Madison square garden i don't know if the guys just uh putting in that extra effort the time, the place, the length of the match. I don't know. But this one, you know, I, I got a really good vibe off of this one, personally. I did as well. I thought that, too, with Jim Neidhart. Every time Neidhart was in, they played the roles perfectly. Like, Neidhart was yeah. power, and they were speed. And anytime power won, power won big. And anytime speed won, speed won big. So it's like one of them has to be winning at all times. It's not, a, you know, then with Brett, it's back and forth, and anything could happen. So... I thought that the the dynamics of everyone in the match were were known and respected. Yeah, yeah, absolutely so. Um, Like I was uh, alluding to, I feel like we got a lot of hot stuff, especially from Brett and Sean, who looked like they were out to prove a point here. Uh, There's a time in the match, and I I don't think they have any personal beef yet, but Brett is just, like, killing Sean with these European uppercuts, and Monsoon doesn't even know, like, what to call them. Like, they're, they're, they're fighting in uh, heated ways beyond what the vocabulary has, like, caught up to at this point. It's funny you say that because somewhere I noted that I respect the fact that Bret Hart stayed in his lane as far as, you know, <laughs> he's going to do his moveset, he's going to be flashy in his way, but he's not. He's never going to be more than what he is. And he, he is a thinker and an overthinker, and we know these things. So he has to know somewhere in his mind, I think even more than a young Shawn Michaels, that somewhere, in some fashion, he's going to be next man up, whether that's IC title, world title. Somewhere he's going to be something. Mm-hmm. And if there's any threat to him, it's got to be the guys that are coming after that are almost the young bucks to his, you know, whatever he is. <laughs> sure. So, like, he has to have some understanding of that. I think more than Michaels. And I respect the fact that like, he's so true to who he is. And there's so many potentials right now. So is the world going to belong to the Ultimate Warrior? Is Randy Savage going to make a revival? Is it going to be the Bret Hart, Mr. Perfect technician style history of the sport? Is it going to be kind of this wider, wilder style of like the, the rockers? So 
I just think right now there's a lot that's up for grabs. And I don't think I think Brett and Michaels will be friends at this time, but I think Brett Hart is always paying attention to what is around him and what it might mean for the narrative. Absolutely. I feel like a, a lot of this series, and going back to WCW as well, we've talked about uh, a lot of people who are instinctual, and that's what makes them great. And Bret Hart is so not mm. instinctual. He is so calculated. He is mm. so planned out. Um, even beyond guys like, uh, you know, Savage, DDP, a few others who like to plan out their matches. I, I don't think Bret necessarily planned everything in that way and yet he is so intentional with everything he does and uh, i think there is an appeal to that i think it's a reason that he stands out in a different way as opposed to a lot of the people uh, around him before him after him all that stuff yeah it's that workmanship it is that again that you know guy with the measuring tape on the floor getting everything done right yeah it's it's what, this is why they, these two are born to hate each other, and there's nothing that you can do about it because there's just an unfairness because if you are Bret Hart, it's got to be unfair that you're the best there is, the best there was, the best there ever will be trained in a family, you know, the best if they just let me be the best. But I could lose it to a guy who is not as technical and skilled as I am. But he looks a certain way. Like, isn't that nice? He looks a certain way and he does flips. And then if you're Shawn Michaels, you know, like, oh, my God, I could be better than this guy. But he's got the family. He's got the background. And I've got to be the pretty boy who's going to be booed at Madison Square Garden because I come off as a dynamic dude. And, like, it's unfair to be me. And it's, it's like it's, it's lucky to be him. You can play the dynamics that they bring off of each other in every year, every era, every decade, and they're always going to butt heads. Yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, <laughs> their their rivalry could be the centerpiece of, uh, of an anime or a JRPG or mm. something because, like, there's something ideological. It's the, 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 the hard work of Bret Hart, as you say, the craftsmanship versus just, uh, like, just the natural – Mm-hmm. Sean Michaelness of Sean Michaels, <laughs> and uh, these are two guys who could never understand the other one's technique, their methodology, and yet they pair together so well, and they have to be in that same spotlight, and they have to share it. So yeah, I mean, it's no wonder that they're going to end up wanting to rip each other's heads off before the end. Yeah. We reincarnate them throughout history, different bodies, different eras. They would end up in each other's worlds clashing again and again and again. And you can just play it out for infinity if you want to. Absolutely so. Um, so uh, I, I'd say this, uh, this is a good match. It's definitely one that you may want to check out for all the reasons we're talking about. In the end, uh, we get the bell rung. It turns out that the uh, time limit has expired and uh, it makes sense because they were talking about, hey, a loss for either team would be devastating. So uh, naturally, nobody's going to actually have to lose. But as you alluded to, even in this all babyface world, these two teams, when that bell rings, they can't stop fighting. Uh, more babyfaces has to come out, split them up. Guess what? Your babyface utopia is not all that you thought it would be. So that's uh, a little bit of satisfaction for folks like us. Yeah, they just don't know how to call it because... You know, anytime this happens, somebody's evil, and the one the one who's usually instigating it is nice. And you know, now it's just like, oh, they got so much passion, they, they didn't hear the bell or something. 
Oh, yeah, it's great. Even when every person involved is babyface, guess what? You're still having these problems. So maybe it's not the heels after all. Maybe that's just a scapegoat for your narrative. I will say a couple, just a couple of things. Like I love when the rockers float over the shoulder. Like there's such a float in the float over, mm-hmm. and but Marty does it once. Then Michaels does the float over, but then falls down to his knees and does a roll up, and it's just it's rather nice. Um, mm-hmm. Is there anything else? I thought I had one more, but maybe not. Oh, they say Hitman cuts off the ring better than anyone I know, which means that the Brainbusters are officially out of the company. <laughs> I definitely <laughs> thought of that. At that exact time, and I'm like, well, no, there's two other guys, but we don't, you know, they just left just now, so they they don't exist anymore, so good to know. That'd be much better if they're like, well, except the Brain Busters, who we did wrong, and, you know, <laughs> I'm packing my stuff as I say this, because I'll be gone, too. Uh, poor Tilly. All right, we won't dwell on it. All right, cool. So that is our first bonus match. I hope you'll check it out. And uh, watch along, because there's definitely a lot of good stuff to see there. There's something about anytime Sean and Brett are getting in that ring together, there's just a weight to it. And especially now, you're looking forward. They don't know yet what they're going to be. We know what they're going to be, so we get to look for all the signs, and uh, it's very interesting to me. Yeah, and it's also desire and being an actual fan and wanting. Why is it Warrior is about to make history at WrestleMania 6? And I feel more want and desire from Michaels and Brett in that tag match at Madison Square Garden than I feel for Warrior. Oh, absolutely, yeah, for sure. I never feel a lot of desire out of Ultimate Warrior. I don't know what he wants. So we, we already talked about that for like 45 minutes, so, you know. Yeah, we'll find out what he wants every time that uh, he leaves the company after holding them up for another million dollars randomly <laughs> for working one more show. You know, the fact, and I have no doubt that Vince McMahon did stiff him, so weirdly, I think one of the things I actually like about the Ultimate Warrior is that he didn't take Vince McMahon's shit, and it's just unfortunate that he's one of the few people who, um, you know, is probably uh, worse than Vince McMahon in a lot of ways, so, oh well, you know, the people who do the right thing once are not always the people that you like. It's like that thing, the worst person you know just made a good point, you know, that yeah. I see that sometimes, so... Oh, well. He's, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's also a lot like Vince McMahon in that mm-hmm. they just behave a certain way. They don't have to justify it to you, yeah. you know. And, you know, I was just – happened to get a video this morning, and I forgot about it. But, you know, Jim Ross, I think 2008, gets drafted to SmackDown, and they, they, they ask him in weeks gone by, like, what you want to do? This thing's like, absolutely not. I don't want to be on SmackDown. So they tell him, okay, you'll stay on Raw. And, like, he says the writers the week before can't look him in the eye. So something's going on. And they don't tell him. And he's like, he knows Vince and everybody back there are laughing their asses off as he's drafted live on TV because they know that he carries his, like, heart on the sleeve and that it's going to, like, cause an emotional reaction and that they're all just getting a kick out of it. And it's like, who the hell wants to work in that when you are one of the people to help save the company and you're so loyal that I lost my fandom for Jim Ross in his loyalty to WWE and somehow that is the behavior that you get. Like, there's, there are some of these guys, Vince and Warrior are both two people who I don't even know. Like, if it was my job to defend them, mm. I don't know where I would start or what angle I would come at it with. Mm. Yeah, indeed. Um, <laughs> it's weird because uh, I can't say I've really been a fan of Jim Ross and AEW, and yet still I am grateful that uh, in the end he had another place to go. This is the value of AEW that they can uh, show honor and respect to people who uh, deserve it 
either now or in the past that, that, that do not exist in the WWE conversation because you do have just this pack of animals backstage who will mm-hmm. do things to amuse themselves with no respect for anything. So, uh, so yeah, that's a whole conversation, but I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, it's fair. And it's once in a while because we're enjoying this so much. Yeah. And you know, shout out to BK who likes this show and the conversations in this era so much mm-hmm. that it took him a year or more to get a WWE network because by God, he doesn't want to have to support the WWE network. And, you know, so once in a while, I want to be thankful for what they're giving us. And I also want to remember that, you know, these people are so dirty that you almost have to shower after enjoying one of their episodes. (laughs) They're absolutely terrible. (laughs) Horrible, horrible bunch of people. So yes, I, I totally get that without a doubt. Ooh, I think the weird thing, and then I'll stop because this is not the conversation, but anybody probably can be horrible at some point. But it's, the weird people to me are the ones who are horrible and they don't have to be. Or like Vince McMahon at times, his product is going to suffer so that he can be horrible. Like He'll sacrifice even his own <laughs> beloved product just to be horrible. Oh, it, yes. It, it's just weird levels. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Vince McMahon, uh, I don't know if you've seen lately, there's been um, an, upt- an uptick of talk about unionization and, uh, you know, uh, somebody just got fired at WWE and they tweeted out immediately, like, about unionization. And uh, Andrew Yang has been, like, looking at wrestlers and be like, what the heck is going on in this weird industry? Um, so a lot of attention to that stuff. And uh, someone made the comment on Twitter that um, the the longest running storyline in wrestling is will Vince McMahon ever suffer the consequences in real life of anything that he does? And that we're just waiting to see if it's actually going to happen. So not going to hold my breath. But, um, yeah, these people are bad. And uh, usually usually nothing happens because of it. So that's the only point I wanted to make there. I think if it happens, it'll almost be as he's on his way out the door. <laughs> right, you know. yeah. At this point, he, he could just leave and not deal with it. So Then old Trips and Stephanie can can hold the bag. <laughs> <laughs> Probably just throw it to Shane, his other yeah. son, that he doesn't love as much. So you know. It's just, you know, because the ratings apparently are about as low as they've ever been. You know, and that could be yep. TV. That could be a lot of things. But at the same time, you know, we're going to, you know, if they make changes that are better for everyone, that's good. But it's going to be at such a minor level, you know, I think we're in a I think nobody can predict the future right now, whether how wrestling will do if WWE is going to there could easily come a time. It's a, it's a weird thing that you can think WWE has always been the centerpiece of professional wrestling in the era that we kind of call professional wrestling in our modern times. And then a day later, they could cease to be. Like things that can never change to, to the point you can't imagine can change in a moment. Yeah. I was just thinking the other day of like every now and then you hear like, oh, well, WWE could get sold like to Disney or to like the yeah. Saudis or like who knows. And I'm like, man, if that happens, nobody, I think, but a McMahon is going to sit around for like the ups and downs of wrestling. Like if that happens, then I think we'll be counting the days to maybe the end of uh, wrestling existing on this level. And, you know, it's weird because as bad as they've been at times, like I'm not necessarily going to cry about that, but I think if that ever does happen, like that's maybe the end for everybody. And I would hate to see that, you know, we won't have access to all this great footage 
Yeah. We won't uh, have anyone to stand up and be like, hey, this is an important part of history. Nobody who has, like, a voice to say that. So, man, that's a complicated thing to think about, uh, for sure. Yeah, ask a WCW fan what that feels like. Yeah, my God. No kidding. No kidding. No. When it changes, it changes. And you're standing there saying, hey, guys, um, I just lived through this. So I know that we're kind of portraying history a little bit different. You guys remember when this happened and that happened? Nobody can hear you, and you're gone, and it doesn't exist, and it never was. Oof. So, complicated stuff. We're we're in an ever changing world. You know, wrestling is doing all right right now. You know, AEW has a big uh, spot. WWE still where it is. A lot of independent stuff getting started or restarted again. So, you know, no one knows. No one can say they are. Those are legacies that belong to other times and are outside our jurisdiction right now. Yeah, I'm always hopeful. I like to think there'll always be uh, some place for this stuff. But yeah, like you say, things can change hugely in ways that uh, you know you maybe can't even imagine when you're in the middle of it. So I don't know. We'll see what happens in the world. Yeah, the only way you realize what a privilege is, or you know what you took for granted, is once you don't have it anymore. Because as long as it is, again, like I said. You go from I can't imagine the world without this and without this like it is to I can't remember it being like that. <laughs> you know, and it's like overnight that it happens. Oh, man. Yep. Yep. Good stuff. Just be careful, folks. That's all. Our decisions matter. Choices matter. You know, I think Vincent Man could do a lot better of a job in his, let's face it, final like era, final time. Like, it'd be nice if it was just in his mind, let me leave this place better than I found it. But that just doesn't seem to be, like, in his makeup. <laughs> Indeed. Oh, my. All right, I'm going to pull us back on track here. Um, we got two more bonus matches and a whole show to get through. So let's get to it. Uh, second match, also from Madison Square Garden, the month after. It is December 28, 1989. That week between Christmas and New Year's, of course, WWF has a big show to put on in the garden. We got Jake the Snake Roberts taking on Ted DiBiase. There are no disqualifications. Virgil is banned from ringside, we are told. It's Monsoon and Hillbilly again. And uh, the crowd the crowd is feeling very hot for this, so I got to give credit again. Jake Roberts, I think in this match and in many matches, we will see again and again. Jake is not the most exciting in-ring wrestler, and yet he will be one of the most popular wrestlers of this era because uh, there's just something about him that he can get the fans excited with the stories he tells, with the angles that he is a part of. He is consistently part of some of the hotter stuff in the WWF, so there's something going on for him, for sure. Yeah, I will not deny the popularity of Jake Roberts and the fact that he has made the DDT one of the most sought-after things in any arena anywhere. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge reaction for the DDT when we finally see it. So I will go ahead and strip this match of all its dignity so that when you talk when you talk about it, you can reclaim it and revive it. So we're working together even as we work apart here. All right, all right. Okay, I dozed off at some points and forgot I was watching it. I, then I started clicking on tabs. And so, like, the unfair but also in some ways fair from someone who might not enjoy this match is a 10 minute arm lock an eight minute headlock. And then some action in the final minute. <laughs> you know, I, um, 
two reactions. One, I actually enjoyed this match, so I don't know if I completely agree with you, and yeah. yet I do know what you're talking about, so yeah. I, I cannot deny uh, there's some reality to what you're saying. The pace of this match is very slow. It is methodical. If you have a, a, a taste for maybe kind of that slower work, um, you know, some nice selling, some long kind of intricate work on the arm, on some other body part, then, uh, you know, this match may be more for you. I enjoyed it to a point. I would not say it is a great match. It's not even necessarily like a really good match. Um, so, yeah, your taste may definitely vary on this one. Um, but I'll say, for all that, the crowd is still hot. Yes. You know, they're, they're very invested in this match, and that is a, a testament to the positive here. It is, and I, I'm a partly salty because when Luger wrestles Barry Windham in a cage, one thing at Great American Bash 91, one thing I would hear is Luger is such a shit wrestler that he wrestles a cage match and he doesn't use a cage, and like he's just a horrible wrestler, and that's another sign of it. Well, these are supposed to be two of the smartest like wrestlers, and they're in a feud in a grudge match in a no-disqualification match. And it's mostly, like, headlocks and arm bars. And I'm not against that. Like, whatever you want to do, do it. But if this is two other people and they did that, and it was people who are not supposed to be good, you would talk about, like, oh, so no DQ grudge match, and they're doing this. They don't understand the business. They don't understand psychology. So it's just – that's not even a critique of the match. This is a critique of who we choose to critique. <laughs> I will always stand up for that cage match as being much better than uh, it had any right to be under the circumstances. So I, I'm with you there. Um, as far as this match goes, yes, yeah, no disqualification, and yet I don't think that, I don't know if they use it one time. To be honest, uh, nothing comes to mind where they actually took advantage of the stipulation at all. It's, and even that to me is almost that might be my favorite thing about the match. Not that I would want all no DQ <laughs> matches to be like that, but I kind of like the idea that sometimes it, it, it's like that. Right. You know what I mean? Like that's again goes to authenticity over. Well, how do we design a no DQ match? How do we design a cage match? You know, well, if you have a bunch of these and you got human beings on any given night, sometimes it's not going to be like it is like ninety nine other times. For sure, yeah. I mean, neither of these are like chair swinging wild men, so maybe it kind of just makes sense for who they are that they're still going to have this match. They're going to rely on their in ring talent. Um, the only thing I'm surprised, I guess, that Jake didn't just throw a snake on him, you know, for the yes. no DQ and just uh, let the snake yeah. wrestle him. But uh, yeah, that makes no sense because like, if I'm Ted DiBiase, I don't care. You can fire me, but you're not going to have a no DQ match where Virgil is banned from ringside and a snake can be at ringside. <laughs> you're not doing it. Indeed, yeah, that's um, you know, with with all his money, you think he could do a, a lawsuit yeah. about that or something? Yeah. I want to say something, and maybe this belongs here, and maybe it belongs later in the show. One of the great unsung heroes of managers slash bodyguards is Virgil. Like he is always on the move, coming to the rescue, doing all kinds of things beyond what he should have to do. And so he he is really like there's been a bunch of times where he's either not at ringside and he just runs down like he stole the snake one time, which is a really smart move. Yep. But he's just he's always appearing on the scene in a way that. I don't think we've given him much credit for, but in a way, what I have seen is that Virgil has been better at his job than Ted DiBiase has been at his because he, Ted DiBiase, we've already talked about, often becomes his own worst enemy. So <laughs> I think Virgil has been better at helping them succeed than Ted DiBiase at times. Uh, Ted DiBiase less interested in success and more interested in um, 
the havoc he can cause with his money. Yeah. So, yes, you got Virgil, who's trying to keep the ship on track. Uh, I will have so many good things to say about Virgil before all is said and done. I give a lot of credit to this guy. It makes me sad that his narrative is basically like he's kind of a joke, a punchline. I think that's not right. I think yeah. that does disservice to the great years he had of, yeah, being this manager character, to the great feud he's going to have. Yes, yeah. he will not find success after that feud, but you know what? That's not – there's a lot of stuff that happened that did work, so let's not make that the whole narrative. That's not fair at all. Yeah, and that's just WWF a lot of times. Is If you are super marked in one way, one feud, one style, one time, good luck on your, on that second try. Yeah. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um so, yeah, you can check this match out as well. I also put the link in all the same places. You can follow along if you like. Uh, I would not recommend this one as strongly as the first one, but if you're curious, check it out. But do be aware it is definitely a Jake Roberts match, more than a Ted DiBiase match, so that may uh, color your desire to see it or not. Uh, we do get the DDT in the end to that enormous pop that we were talking about. <clears throat> Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is a match you can enjoy, but you may or may not get bored depending on your taste. So, uh, you know, there, there's your disclaimer. And it might, for some, it might be the best thing on the whole show because could be, could be. I am all about energy and pace. Like that's just a thing. It doesn't mean I don't all sometimes like a variation, but you know, I see what Jake does though. That, that last minute or so is going to be so hot because like it makes the short clothesline, the DDT, Far more impactful than like a Young Bucks match because of what he does for the 16 minutes before it. <laughs> so I at least see what he's getting at. I just don't know if I want to waste 16 minutes of my life for the one minute or not. Yeah, there you go. There I'm you so go. old, folks. If you got more time on Earth, I would recommend. And you like that, then I recommend watching. Oh, my. Yeah, that's that's one way to look at it. This is the match, though, where Monsoon was roasting uh, Danny Davis alive for his job as referee. And uh, then, and I appreciated this a lot, because this would never come out, I think, on, like, a bigger show, a more, like, a national show. But Monsoon is also like, well, actually, I've refereed some, you know, I've been a guest referee at times. I would never do it again, because it's so much harder than you think. So he, like, he has the integrity to even, like, go back on himself in a way that other babyface commentators would not. And he sort of admits his own faults. So there, there's a bit of integrity again from Gorilla Monsoon. I think he may have even won an award for that, or at least been nominated in our uh, end of the 80s awards. It's the difference, too, between someone who's actually had to live something versus someone who just critiques it. Because Vince Man will make the same critiques about everything. And the first thing Jesse is like, well, you've never done any of it, have you? And he's like, well, you know. <laughs> so Gorilla's got a lot of integrity. He, he roasts the hell out of his son all the time when he's refereeing. So it is something Gorilla likes to do. Very true, very true. Joey Morella gets name-dropped, not as much as he used to. He gets name-dropped somewhere on this show, and I popped for that. So, Joey Morella, man, he's up there with some of my favorite referees. He is, he is, and he's got a few more years, and we will definitely touch on uh, Joey Morella specifically uh, when the time comes. Man, it was heartbreaking to me when I found out he passed young, and uh, just for himself and for, for Gorilla Monsoon as well, like, I don't know what Gorilla Monsoon was like in life, but, man, my impression of him is just so positive. He seems like a really positive person, like a good person to be around. Um, you know, he will kind of be like a weird father figure to a lot of these uh, wrestlers, a lot of these eras. And just the thought of that 
is really just heartbreaking to me. Yeah. So every time I hear about that, I get sad again. I don't know what it was because like I knew the WCW referees because WCW treats them like human beings. Yeah. You know, WWF as a child, I loved Joey Morella, and I don't think I even knew who, like the Earl Hebner. I don't think I would know who he was. <laughs> and like it, it broke me because like it's, it's all these weird things you go through as a child, like. You don't know death is a thing, and then you know it's a thing, but it happens to maybe older people, or then it happens to people in a certain time when they reach a certain place, and then all oh, a wrestler could die. Oh, but you know, like it's almost you got to learn it over and over again. Like that a referee can die in the prime. Of, you know, that was a whole another revelation in itself, and and it was a hard one, and it sucked, and it's gonna suck when we get to it. Uh, it's the, it's that unfair nature, folks, and just. You know, I sometimes like to look at life. Oh, human beings are good and life is good, but bad things happen. There's a lot of shitty stuff just in, in the very makeup of it. And I don't say that in a negative way. I say that in a, well, then if you can figure out that to do something positive with it, you're doing an amazing thing. And, you know, everybody's got their own thing. Ours is like a Sunday uh, recording of a wrestling show from 20 years ago. But find, find that thing that you love because you don't know how long you're going to do it. If you have a podcast where you can uh, pay homage to Joey Morella, then you've done something right in your life. Yes. So that that's something. That is a million percent right. All right, we got one more bonus match, and uh, it's a guy we've already talked about involved here. It is Andre the Giant teaming up with Haku. The first time we have seen the Colossal Connection, this uh, sadly short-lived team that will do some really great stuff in their little time that they have. They are taking on Demolition. For the WWF Tag Team Championships on Superstars, December 30, 1989, closing out the decade with what will be a title win for Andre the Giant, which is just cool, in my opinion, just just on his face. Um, this is a rare title match on free TV. It's Vince Ventura on the call, of course, because it's Superstars. Um, yeah, I, I was feeling excited for this. Like, you, you know, it's not going to be like a work rate classic. But there's going to be a special kind of excitement about this match. And I was definitely feeling it as I went through it. And yeah, man, this is – we're going to miss Demolition when they're gone. That's another well, one that – We're going to miss them while they're still here when we yeah. get Crush in here and they, they're treated like they were never anything. And, um, man, it's going to be some sad days because right now, God, the pop for Demolition is up yeah. there as big as any Warrior, Hogan, anything that you could talk about. It is. And it's always like that. Yeah, yeah, mega stars. Do we even know what happened? Because I was listening to them the other day, and they were saying that Vince was like intentionally sabotaging them for the longest time, and that, so that's their perspective. Like, do we know what in the world happened to make it like that, or was it just a turn of turn of events, the way things are? I think I think I knew once. I don't remember the specifics of it, but yeah, the relationship with Vince McMahon will deteriorate terribly to the point where you know, like demolition you, it doesn't exist like no one will talk about it in the wwe um they never get referenced they have no narrative i don't think they're in the hall of fame nothing so i don't know exactly what happened there but uh, they will definitely not in the end get the respect that they are earning being just huge stars for like the second third year in a row here and like yeah. they're, they're gonna keep going for a while so great stuff from demolition they deserve better yeah, that we we have credit, credited them every time we've seen them, but I think sometimes we don't see them enough. And I don't think with the brainbusters coming in and just doing something so unique to history, like somewhere we got to make sure that we have fully put over that 
this run that Demolition has is on par with any tag team's run in the history of the world. Absolutely. When I look at tag teams of this era, Demolition, like, they're strong contenders for that number two spot right after the Brain Busters. You know, they're, they're in that top tier. Um, they got votes for best tag team of the, the, the era, the 80s that we covered, and they deserved it. You know, they were right up there with anybody. Yeah, and we have rightfully talked about character-wise, Bad News Brown being kind of like a forerunner to Austin. Sure. Demolition, all the reason that they get such a sustained response, like, I think Austin, in some ways, Austin on his way to the ring to wrestle or to do a promo, a lot of the ovation and momentum came in the potential that came in the walking down the ringside, like, either verbally or physically stopping a mud hole in you. Like, you knew somebody was going to get hurt, that it was going to be consistent, that you could trust in this person, that it wasn't going to change. And Demolition has carried that. Like, there's a reason they get the kind of ovation that they do, because you know exactly who they are, what they're about, and what they're going to do when they get in the ring. And when you've got something that the fans can depend on like that, you don't treat it poorly. Yeah. That's a great shout-out. And I'll say, the way Austin walks to the ring when he's stone cold is so distinctive to me that walk i don't know even how but somehow that walk has the exact same energy as those double axe handles which will like pound a guy into the mat i don't even know how to articulate it but i get the exact same vibe off of those two pieces of motion yeah all i see is that knee brace those boots and like the stomp like he's, he's high stepping in a way but it's like his legs and his neck are like thick you know so it's like it's not what you would imagine. So like the sound of it and the demolition when they're doing them, it's always downward stomp, downward stomp. And is you let like a rattlesnake, like you can imagine, like Jake, at least Jake Roberts snake is in a bag and on the mat. You let a snake rise up and be above you and strike down and find out what happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great, oh, I love that. That's awesome. Can you imagine, like, Austin will be in the ring with uh, uh, the Road Warriors um, for some of his stuff in, like, 97 and stuff, and that that's very cool, but, man, I'm just now imagining Demolition in that slot, and that's at least as cool, if not more so. Um, I don't think it could have happened from just, like, their health and stuff, but, uh, God, there's something about that for sure. Yeah, I, I think I've said before that if when you have that amazing uh, – Kind of things, Canadian Stampede, where it's the four or five on five. Yep. Imagine like Austin, Ken Shamrock, Demolition. Like, dear God, is there a team you don't want to go against? Yeah, I think you would die for sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's rugged. And so, this is the first conversation that's making me hopeful about the attitude there. Because I know I'm going to love 97, but I'm fearful of the other. I don't know which way it's going to go. But mm-hmm. this has infused some hope in me. That, good, good. I think there'll be a lot of good stuff to take out of there, sometimes more than others, but uh, I think we'll have some good experiences in that time. It'll be interesting. We'll, we'll get there. Um, in the meantime, I just got to say, like, this match, uh, I've seen this one before, but it, uh, it surpassed my memory of it because there's something in wrestling that I've come to really love, and we don't see it very often, and maybe that's good because it's rare, but the blowout in a wrestling match is so cool to see. And I'm not just talking about a squash match, like with a jobber or whatever, because, you know, that that serves a great purpose, but it's not what I'm talking about. It's when you have two big stars against each other, or two teams in this case, and one team 
just destroys the other. Not because the other's bad, but just because they got caught at the wrong place, the wrong time, the wrong moment. They didn't get out of the starting block, something. Recently, AEW did this with Brody Lee and Cody Rhodes. That's one of my favorite things they've done all year because it's Cody Rhodes, and you know that he's a big star, and yet he's not got his head in the game right. He gets caught, and he just gets fucking destroyed, just demolished from top to bottom. That's exactly what happens to Demolition here. You could never say Demolition is not tough as hell. And yet, Andre starts this match by headbutting Axe, and Axe will never, never recover from that. He will never get out of the gate. He will not even be able to tag in his partner before he loses this match. And that, I love that, man. That's just cool to me. That is one of my favorite things in the history of things. It goes back to what we were saying about a tag, uh, no DQ or cage. You know, go watch baseball or basketball and be a fan. I don't care. Pick pick the best person in any league and see that you don't leave some nights very disappointed. Yeah. Because it ha- that's what happens. And Andre the Giant channels every beating demolition has ever given everybody and gives it back to demolition in this matchup. And <laughs> – you know, you don't get mad, you don't get angry. Like, as a seven foot four man who weighs five hundred and fifty pounds, who happens to be over you and coming down on you, and sorry, you know, like you've given it out and now you're gonna get it, and it is the most authentic thing in the world. I don't care if you're the best wrestler who's ever wrestled in the history of the world. You're wrestling three hundred nights a year. And somebody's gonna get you somewhere. Watch the alter, like you know, watch MMA, watch UFC, and watch someone who otherwise is very credible get knocked out in a minute. You know, the world doesn't end, but it feels like it for a night. And they they put a whooping on demolition, and it is beautifully done. Oh, it's so good. I love. You can really see the dynamic of the colossal connection, which works so well for me because Andre, you know, he probably does about like four moves in this whole match and those moves just look like they are world enders and then you've got Haku who is just like energy and motion and all these things we talk about like we wanted the ultimate warrior to act like this in the ring uh, but it's Haku who is just like doing all the legwork, the heavy mm. lifting uh, he'll use Andre as a, a weapon like a yes. foreign object he will just throw people into the wall of Andre and just splatter them there. Like, so good. Oh, I love this stuff. A shout out to WWE and Andre and all that for finding uh, ways to uh, to negotiate the situation. Because yeah, yeah. make him a tag wrestler. Put him in the corner. Let Haku do the work. Let him lower his head to be the turnbuckle, you know. Mm-hmm. But you still get to see Andre the Giant out there. Yeah, but, you, you know, he, he does that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can see them working so hard to be like, Andre, we know he's in bad shape, but he's freaking Andre. So we're going to string this out as long as we can. We're going to use every trick in the book to keep Andre in the ring as long as we can. And God bless him for it. I love the Colossal Connection. I got no beef with them using Andre in this way. I only wish it could have lasted a little longer. Yeah, I think WrestleMania 6 is going to be his last televised match. He will never have a match in the WWF again, uh, not on TV anyway. And mm. uh, and that is a shame. And it's not for lack of trying, because even then they will advertise him for at least one Royal Rumble. They will want him to, uh, to do stuff. It just never works out because his health will deteriorate further and further. But, man, just 
the effort to keep Andre in the mix is so there, and I really love him for that. Yeah, man. When he's about to be gone so fast and it sneaks up on you. Yeah. It'd be nice to take Hacksaw or Big John Stud and give that Royal Rumble win. I would love to have had an Andre the Giant Royal Rumble win just to – you know, just have something to go to, you know, if you want to once in a while. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, this is a guy who will win uh, tons of battle royals over the years, so I'm sure you can find those too. But, yeah, no, I mean, uh, fuck stud, uh, Andre should have won that if they needed just some big guy to win it. Yeah, and it would have been just nice for history's sake, but you don't win them all. But I have, This is the first time we said this on air. I have been feeling that it's coming. Man, we are, you know – that era that we that we started in, if there's a big if there is no bigger uh, hint that we are out of it than than either Hogan or Andre falling off. Yeah. And here comes Andre. So we got to really prep ourselves for WrestleMania six now. Yeah. Absolutely. Whew. Yeah, that's gonna be a big send off. Um in the meantime, yeah, we have this match, and uh, Colossal Connection does get that win. As I said, Smash never even tags in. They just squash acts so badly that <laughs> Smash even runs in to, like, break up the pin. And he makes contact with Andre, and usually, like, that would always be enough to break up the pin. Yet Axe is so demolished, if you will, that uh, it doesn't even matter. Andre still gets the three count, and uh, they are the new tag team champions. So here... Here is a real title run for Andre in the WWF. It's not over in 30 seconds. He doesn't mm. sell the belt. He gets to be a champion. That's another credit to this final storyline here. Is you get to have that moment for Andre, and I appreciate that. Yeah, I will say that we, we've given him so much in credit for his integrity that I have to at least give him a demerit for after the match. He has this laugh that is almost an offense at one of them listening on the mat. And then he goes over there and just starts whipping them with a tag title. And it's like, no, Andre, that's not cool, man. And it's not a big thing in the, in the history of things. But I think with all the credit we've given him, I've got to at least say something about that behavior after winning that belt. That's very uh, – show some integrity from you as well. Andre, we love him. And you know what? Even he wasn't always nice. You know, maybe he had yeah. enough after a while. So, uh He's just prepping for his baby face turn, though, because he'll turn yeah. face at the end, you know, so that's really what it is. Oh, my God. Yep. You, you put in the mix of finally winning, which you almost become a baby face if you're winning. So winning a belt, <laughs> becoming a baby face, and that, yeah, that's what you get after the match is here. Now it's your duty to just make sure, like, we just destroyed you in a matchup when your gimmick is being tough. So, you know, let's, let's put it on you a little bit more because, you know, reasons. I think Axe maybe was – they were falling out maybe with Axe because Axe is the one that gets replaced too, I think. Yeah, there's also a health issue, so I don't think it's just that, but it definitely could be that. Because, yeah, Smash, like, he'll be Repo Man and he'll be all this stupid shit over the years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but Axe, like, he, he won't have those same opportunities. So, yeah. This is the most impressive thing about Vince McMahon, and it's partly why I don't like him, but it's also, it blows my mind, <laughs> is that. This man has no problem taking like the most over tag team that he can create, not even being able to necessarily create another one, and destroying it because he feels like it, and then taking like the the rubble of the destruction of something that worked and giving us repo, man. Like he'll he'll bring his damn company down just to to prove a point if he has to. <laughs> oh my God, yeah, repo man. You know, I was once um, 
there, there's some LOP user related guy called Repo, right? Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah so he is. once called me out for not appreciating the Repo Man. So I'll give him a chance. But uh, I, I was not taken with the Repo Man when I first watched through his work. So we shall see. And I can go ahead and tell you part of what I would say is like I remember his big eyes under that mask. And I remember the hunch and I remember the sneaking and <laughs> the human being did everything that he could. But like, sure. are you going to tell me that anybody in the world wants to go from let me blow up the most successful tag team, maybe in the history of the company at that time, the longest reigning tag team champions of all time, and then come back as a repo man? Is anybody going to be happy about that? What a weird career, too, because like I said, I'm watching in 98 WCW and Barry Darso is there. <laughs> Just like doing jobs to Goldberg and stuff. And it's like, what a weird career you have, bud. Because he's like the blacktop bully and he's all this weird different uh. stuff. And yeah, so like, you'd think Demolition would, because yeah, like Axe is never heard from again, hardly. And then you got Smash just doing like every job that comes his way. So weird stuff. He seems very good natured. And so I think the thing we underestimate mm. as fans is how far you can go just because you are like, easy to get along with. I think greater than his leapfrog in the rise of Sting is everybody's like, oh, yeah, he was the nicest guy, and he would just do anything. Like, that stuff goes a long way, and I feel like maybe uh, this fella uh, was up that um, up that design. Yeah, I was thinking about that recently. Just, like, you don't probably know how much the backstage personality stuff affects some of this stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, because if there's a guy who's a great performer, but you just don't like being around him, and he's not a big draw like the Warrior or something, you're probably just not going to stick with that guy too long, yeah. you know? So, I get it. I get it. But uh, it's too bad, though, because of the two, man, I prefer Axe um, as a performer. Like, to me, he, he stands out. He's the glue. When he leaves, it'll be really noticeable with Demolition. Um so, yeah, it's too bad that it went the way it did, but uh, it is what it is. Yeah, I am a bigger fan of Smash, I think, than you are. But I think if you want to talk demolition, the thing that kind of gives us is, is, is uh, feet to the ground. Like Axe, is, Axe, is, Axe embodies it more than Smash because Axe is more of the unmovable aspect of it. I think... I think Smash, not even in, in, in an insulting way, I think just in a factual way, would be the secondary in that tag team. It'll be interesting to watch because I have such poor memories. Like, the whole time when I was watching this Demolition run, I was like, man, it's not going to be bad when Crush gets here. It's still going to be good. Like, Crush, I have no beef with Crush. It's Demolition. They're awesome. Oh, my God. When it's Smash and Crush, it's going to be bad. And it's not just the booking, I think. That's my memory anyway. So we'll watch that carefully. We will see if my uh, original perspective holds up. But I was shocked. I was shocked at the time how the quality fell off a cliff when Axe left. So we'll see what the cause is and if that is true. So so let's just wait and see on that. Folks, th- this is how honest we at least attempt to be on this show. I don't think I've said this out loud, but I'll okay. do it now. And All it right. doesn't take um, when we got the demolition, I was groaning inside because <laughs> I knew how big of a fan you are of demolition. I know Benjamin Button loves demolition. And 
what I mostly remember is not being a WWF fan and not watching them and everybody telling me they're the greatest tag team of all time. And then I look at a picture of them in their face paint and how they're dressed, and I'm like, fuck, <laughs> if WWF's not the biggest bullshit rigged uh, narrative game in the world. So, like, I anticipated three years of having to just nicely say, okay, I'm going to let you talk about this matchup, you know, because I don't want to rain on people's parade, but I didn't enjoy it. And they have blown the barn door up. They've blown the top of my head up to the ceiling. They have been one of my favorite things in the world, but we, we take it as we come. You know, I didn't think I was going to feel like that, and they proved me wrong in every aspect available. I love that you said that, and I feel like they would do that for almost anybody who can appreciate this style of wrestling. And I will just close by saying the gear they wear is so bad, and it's like the number one barrier to their legendary status, I think, because on paper, they they don't look good. You know, the the weird S&M harness is not... You know, they should have just skipped that part, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, and you get the narrative. Like, you're an NWA guy who watches the Steiners and LOD, and you're like, oh, no, not only the greatest tag team in the world, but the most badass team ever is in WWF. Have you seen them? And, you you know, you pull up a picture, and you're like, all right, okay. okay. (laughs) I wish I hadn't seen them, yeah. No, they're so good, but, yeah, I totally get it. And uh, Yeah, yeah, so good. I want to I want to see what we end up saying about Crush long term in his career. I don't know how I feel. I don't know how you feel about Crush. Um, I was watching some Crush Doink stuff the other day, and you know we're gonna be in some interesting eras. But oh man, he's another. It's hard to just talk about Crush because you've got Demolition Crush. You've got like good guy Hawaii Crush who likes yes. to crush things. You've got, like, Bad Crush, who will fight Randy Savage. Yes. You've got Crush in the original Nation of Domination. Yes. You've got Crush coming back with, like, Chronic in the Invasion. Yeah. Um, so you can't just talk about Crush, because he's another yes. guy who will be, like, ten different things. But we will try to talk about him holistically, and it'll be interesting, because I, I don't really have beef with Crush. I think he's fine. Um, but, uh, you know, depending on the day, I might... I might go higher than that. I might go lower than that. He's a lot of different things. Here's something for folks. If you want to keep listening to our show uh, in the years to come, I might give you a, a little tease that uh, if you've been a fan of this show, you might not expect. <laughs> I was for five seconds watching some 90, 1993 stuff, yeah. and I thought, how much better WWF 1993 might have been if they weren't pushing Lex Luger? Oh, wow. Whoa. Wow. I never thought I'd hear it. Do you want to expand on that or do you want to wait? I'll wait. I don't know if I'll even fully stand by that, but it has a lot more to do with the All-American than Lex Luger himself. Okay. So we'll get into that. But it was a weird feeling that, like, even Crush, I don't think Crush, like, a lot of guys, like Scott Steiner at that time in Crush, people like to say, oh, man, if they pushed them instead of Lex Luger. Like, you know who would be better than the guy that people push anybody that you don't push that you don't have to see the outcome of? So in some ways, I get that it's easier to do that. But there were some interesting things. Like, I don't know if Crush would have been good, but Crush and Doink, for example, were on the come up at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's almost unfair that they wrestle at WrestleMania 9 because someone's got to go over, and they're both so on the come up that it's going to hurt somebody. And so I think part of the new generation, when it when it is at its worst, 
the best thing is going to be talking about the what ifs and you know what might have been you know so man if they were going to give a bigger push to someone you just talked about it should have been doink not yes. fucking crush jesus <laughs> crush ain't that good he's not better than luger good i don't accept that argument at all like no, crush is like that. he's 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 okay but jesus yeah. anyone who yeah. says that is um I question if they have actually watched a crush match. I'll just say It has that. been said for you for for the record. Oh my god. I guess I shouldn't be surprised. I think probably every name in wrestling history has been put over Luger by someone at some yeah. point, but um that's just stupid. I don't accept that at all. I think in any era where Bret Hart is gonna be the world champion and you have Doink, why is Doink not wrestling for the world title? <laughs> Man, if you wanted to say they should have pushed Evil Doink over the narcissist, sure, I'll, I'll accept that argument. But man, crush over All American Luger, I can't accept it at all. That's silly. There's gonna be one show where I'm just gonna have to, you know, I think I'm gonna lay out everything that I will ever have to say on the Lex Luger stuff again, <laughs> probably on the SummerSlam edition, and we're all just gonna have to deal with uh, that amount of information. But you know, then I hopefully will be done with it. <laughs> Oh my God! Okay, okay. Last thing I know, we're because we got to get into Saturday Night's main event. But I was watching the other day where Lex Luger knocks out Bret Hart at the WrestleMania Nine brunch. <laughs> we're gonna have to watch that brunch because I never saw it. That's exciting yeah. stuff. So another question to throw out for a later conversation. Let us say that we live in a world where Bret Hart is gonna beat Yokozuna and Hulk Hogan is not gonna win the world title. Are we moving the the Luger Brett maybe at SummerSlam? Like, what are we doing with that uh, brunch knockout? <laughs> yeah, it's weird that they never fought in a more like intentional way. I don't know. I guess just the gears shifted or something. But yeah, like eh, it feels like it should have happened at some point. Yeah. So a lot of interesting stuff to come tonight. We are in the nineties, folks. This is. This is the decade, really, I am weirdly not even a wrestling fan, probably if you look at it in a scope of things. I was a fan for like seven years and then like five minutes here and there, but we are, <laughs> we're in that time where I actually was a consistent wrestling fan and having the time of my life as we begin, uh, Saturday night's main event, there are no rapid, this show was so good that I only now realize there are no rapid fire promos. <laughs> I was going to say, this, this doesn't deserve to have drawn so well for not having rapid fire promos because it's mm. just Vince screaming about Warrior and Hogan teaming up. So that's, uh, that's inferior way to start, but, uh, we do love Saturday night's main event, so we'll give it a pass. Yeah. And I will say, this is a weird thing to say, but it's honestly what I feel. So Vince is screaming over this Hulk Hogan, intro with ultimate warrior and then they have a picture uh, like a headshot of warrior headshot of hogan and they both feel half the screen equal size and seeing an image of someone other than hogan take up the exact amount of space of hulk hogan was the above anything that's ever happened somehow felt like the biggest threat warning or sign that <laughs> he's about to get knocked off Interesting. I don't know if I have that same vibe, but I think I uh, know where you're coming from. This is a weird moment, but I was like, this guy is sharing the screen equally with Hulk Hogan. Oh, my God. Equal. Hulk Hogan has done such a great job with his rhetoric that equal to Hulk Hogan is offense to Hulk Hogan is like betraying Hulkamania and WWF and like the, the order of the world. Oh, my. And I will say beyond just the rhetoric, and you're right about that, but also... Just based on what Hulk Hogan has accomplished, 
it's a lot to put someone up next yeah. to Hogan because we talked about how this guy just overturned the wrestling world. He redefined what it was to be a megastar in wrestling. So you put anybody up in equal size to him, then you're trying to say a lot in a short amount of time. Yeah, and this is where we, I'll flip everything we said the whole show is that I think being dumb or being thick or being from another planet or being whatever the warrior, warrior is uh, immune to Hulk Hogan's tricks because they just don't land because he doesn't have like like substance for a place for them to land. And I think that's partly why he's going to just get into this feud and run Hogan over and be done before Hogan can even really start his games. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because we talked that Randy Savage was kind of maybe undone by his own insecurities at yeah. times. Uh and Ultimate Warrior will, if anything, have the opposite problem. Like, he's never met an insecurity in his life, I think. Uh, yes. And it will benefit him at the start, but it will not benefit him long-term in his career. So, just interesting to look at the dichotomy there. It is. I, I, I'm enjoying this because it's mind-blowing to me that after we finish this show, we got nothing left big time but the main event. So, Warrior is doing a good job of somehow walking or like close enough to Hogan that you know he's kind of in the feud with Hogan, but staying outside of that just like light where Hulk Hogan just burns to death or whatever standing in front of him. He's standing on the edge of it, and he's doing a good job of that. Oh, burn to death? That's uh, that's one way to put it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Woo, yeah, no, that's true. We don't have another uh, Sarah Nights main event or anything. We just have one... Uh, Special, just just the main event, it's called. And then, yeah, yes. WrestleMania. So we're almost there. We're really right on the doorstep here. This is how you do it. Because yeah. he's having a, a clothesline feud with Hulk Hogan. And, you know, <laughs> I don't think Hogan's clothesline is, is any better than Warrior or Savage. So, like, you can be on equal footing in a clothesline feud. Just keep it out of the rhetoric, keep it out of the projections, keep it out of the framing, and just have a clothesline feud until we're at WrestleMania and there's nothing to do but to wrestle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, very different, I think, than the past several WrestleManias is this build here. And I, I will touch on that more as we go through the show. Uh, it's very sparse in its buildup so far. Uh, this is not something that seemed like it was planned out a year in advance. There's no big betrayal. There's no. There's not even really a big storyline. Like we're a couple months out, and yeah, there's only there's really only so much going on here. Yeah. I. Uh, I looked at the card this morning, just to kind of get a feel. And I don't I don't know how I feel about it. You know, like it, I'm excited for WrestleMania, so I, it's not going poorly, but it is it's not it's not a heavy pour on right now. Right. Yeah. Um. I don't know. We'll see. I don't know exactly what that undercard looks like. I haven't looked at it too closely, so it, it is hit and miss, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. I'm going to look it up before the end of the show, and uh, we'll just see what we're dealing with there. But um, in the meantime, we do have Vince McMahon and Jesse Ventura. And uh, many times I have praised the aesthetic of Jesse Ventura. I have to critique it in this mm. show because uh, he looks weird. He's got no facial hair. He's got no, like, hat or big thing, just some weird glasses. And he looks uh, he looks strange. He doesn't look good, in my no. opinion. But what he, what he does have is a once again accurate 
prediction that will be uh, downplayed and cr- criticized. He says Hogan and Warrior will not get along. He will be proved right. And yet uh, Vince McMahon is disgusted again at this prediction. So uh, Jesse Ventura still has that going strong. Yeah, he looks about 20 years older than he normally does. Yeah, what the hell? Like, I wanted Freddie Blassie to come call him a pencil-necked geek. Yeah. That's what he looked like. <laughs> I don't know why. He just did. So, yeah. The funniest thing to me was Vincent Man called him Slash. I don't know if this was because of his glasses. You know, he's wearing, like, a Slash of Guns and Roses. And that, to me, is just so interesting because, uh, you know, Axel Rose is kind of the front man, but Slash – uh, is the guitar man, and they're going to end up, you know, breaking up in a way over, like, kind of their roles, and then everything's going to end, and then they'll come back together in the 2000s here and there, and and I guess in this scenario, Vince would be the Axl Rose, and they are also going to break up and then come back together in the 2000s, so it was just a weirdly, like, I don't even know why you're making this statement, um, but it carries a lot of weight that you had no idea about. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, yeah. I don't know why he called him that, um, yeah. but uh, that's an interesting uh, way to look at it for sure. Yeah, he did not look like no um, hairband uh, singer. I will tell you that much. God no, I, I, yeah, <laughs> very strange. So, but that happened, and then we move on. Um, it's the nineties, uh, and it's still it's a it's an interesting thing. I think BK had the take of the week with uh it takes a few years for errors to set in or it takes a while yeah and man it blows my mind that we are now in the 90s and we got like greg valentine we got dino bravo (laughs) we got you know a lot of these guys dusty Rhodes, and i'm happy we got a lot of them but it is a weird feeling that it's the 90s and it's the ultimate warrior and then there's some guys who i thought were going to fade out around 88 who are still like driving the show here on saturday night's main event (laughs) <laughs> yeah dino bravo is in the last match of all things so yeah. Uh, <laughs> um yeah i mean the 90s of the wwf surely start in like 1993 um uh, if if not uh somewhere right around there so yeah we're mm-hmm. definitely still in that hogan 80s associated period uh and yes big credit to bk for uh making that point so well yeah this is so fun. They're talking about the 90s, and yet they're kicking it off with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. God. So he is with Gene Oakland, and uh, Gene says that he is particularly proud that they're kicking off the 90s uh, with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. This is so cruel because we started the Rumble with somebody who was shit also, um, like the Bushwhackers maybe, uh. I think, was in the first. So, like, they're just really punishing me at the start of these shows, I guess. Uh Duggan talks, and I didn't write down a lot of it because it's Duggan. Um, his crown was stolen, I guess, even though he likes to steal things from people all the time and just beat them up with his 2 by 4 He says he doesn't want revenge, but he does want revenge on behalf of the people. Uh, wow, so selfless, Jim Duggan. Amazing. God, fuck this guy. <laughs> Yeah, like, why are we having a promo when the question is, would you rather have revenge or the crown? And he says both and neither. <laughs> uh, the only thing he really wants, this we born out in the match, is to do violence to Sherry. So what a hero, yeah. I guess. Let's all put our hands over our hearts and salute the fucking dumbassery of Jim Duggan. And he'll try it. He's going to fail at his attempt in the matchup. <laughs> so just a spoiler there. Oh, uh, well, that's something. 
I have something to say here because we're going to go to Macho Man and Sherry, and I need to – I don't know if we'll know off the top. I should have asked you this off air, but who who did it come from? Because I feel like it was your side of the award show, whether it was you or whether it was people who you talked to. Who was it that presented that the first half of the 90s should have belonged to Randy Savage? That, that me. That was right for me. Okay. <laughs> I've been thinking uh, since that show about what that could have looked like. And, man, can you imagine? I just want you to sit with me here for a second. 1993, WrestleMania, Savage versus Yokozuna. 1994, Savage versus Bret Hart. 1995, Savage versus Diesel. What are you going to do? 1996, Savage versus Shawn Michaels. 1997, Savage versus Steve Austin or somebody. You know, like, what, what, a, what a run that could have been. For Randy Savage, what a better use than a lot of the stuff that we did get. Just like some incredible stuff left on the table there. I think it is one of the best takes we've had in the entirety of our time together in 10 years. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, my God. Uh, I've been thinking about it a lot, and I think there's so much value in it because you get a guy who I think would have had no problem putting over people as they come up, yet he's got such star power that I think he could have just kept going right up until Austin, and he could have been the one to really put Austin over, along with Brett, along with Sean, and then it could have segued beautifully, and then he could have just retired and not had all those like sad last parts of his career that he had over in WCW. Yeah. We know he's going to be thriving in 1992, and so... This is a man who wanted to put Bret, Hart, put Bret Hart over and be retired by Shawn Michaels. So it's not like he didn't have the same idea that you have. Yeah. But all we had is we were marketing. The, I think it's a combination of we want to market the new generation and we want to be able to make fun of Hulk Hogan if he ever goes anywhere for being old. You know, <laughs> so we can't have like Randy Savage around. And, yet and that's like the dumbest either again. pushing the ultimate warrior. So it's like, yeah. what the hell? You know, it's stupid. Most Vincent Man has a reason. And it, it all time has no reason, <laughs> you know, it, it, it locks. <laughs> but when I watched Randy Savage here, like Randy Savage went to hell. He came back in ashes. He was put back together in this kind of Disney way where it was like, this is fun, but it's still, is it 30% Randy Savage? Is he 60% alive? I am here to declare that Randy Savage is back to 100% and that he is fully alive. He is fully awake. He is as good now as he's ever been. He's going to be as good in 1992. He's going to work to put Crush over when he doesn't even matter. Like, Savage doesn't even matter anymore. He's going to be like Ms. Van Sale wearing the full outfit because, like, oh, we, we can't have, like, if Bobby Heenan or Randy Savage wrestles, we don't want them, you know, out there, you know, looking like a wrestler because they're just that kind of thing. <laughs> but, man, he could have always done it. And what I was thinking is, how is a warrior better than Hogan or Savage? How is Hogan better than Savage or Warrior? How is Savage better than Hogan and Warrior? He is more adaptable than just about anyone I have ever seen. Like he, he was this heel who was forming in an identity. He put Liz in front of him. He feuded with George the Animal Steel. He was a babyface world champion. Now he's a macho king, and I've liked a lot of the kings. But this is now in this moment watching this episode. I did not feel like he was the king because he won a thing that gave him the crown, and now he's in the gimmick. I felt like he was the king of something, and that's just where he was born, and that's what he always was. He gets <laughs> back to that transformative transportation, Randy Savage, and I am so here for it. 
No, it's it's beautiful. The aesthetic, um, everything about it, it just works. I had the same feeling of Savage being uh, about as close to his prime as he could possibly be. And yeah, I mean, looking forward, in 1997, his feud with DDP mm. will be one of the best things in WCW. So you can't tell me he couldn't have been over on the other side feuding with Brad in that Canadian feud or feuding with Undertaker or, you know, putting putting over Austin. Like, the timeline just works out so well that I, I will always now regret that uh, we were not able to see that and that Savage will be stupidly sidelined at the end of 92 and never be allowed back in the WWF spotlight. Can you imagine somewhere in 97 or 98, Randy Savage warning Steve Austin that his paranoia and lack of trust was going to end him if he doesn't do anything about it. Oh, my God. Oh, it's so good, man. I, I want to see it. I want to like have that, it. That messenger oh. coming out because he's concerned about you because of your paranoia and lack of trust. Like, my God, would that land? Yeah. And really Savage is. is so good that when you were talking about, oh, I could do this in 94, 95, 96, my first thought was I don't know if DDP ever gets over at the level he could without Randy Savage. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Like, he'll be over. But he, he won't be as over as he was. He won't be, like, world champion over, I don't think. So, man, that's saying a lot as well. But, God, I don't know. I've, he did a lot of great work in WCW that's not appreciated like it should be. But, man, he could have done he could have done just as much, if not more, back over in the WWF. So And, he you know, the best part, of course, would have been separated from Hogan the whole time. Yeah. God, that would be beautiful, too. Yeah. <laughs> And Savage is so good at putting people over. And that's what he wanted to do. Like, he wanted to put Brett over. He wanted to put Sean over. Like, you are saying no to Randy Savage putting over your next level. Like, how many people are going to bitch forever that Hulk Hogan didn't put over Bret Hart? Randy Savage is, is in the company with his hand raised, and they don't want to do it. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it's a tragedy. It is. Oh, man, the Macho King tells us that a guillotine is what peasants do to get a haircut. <laughs> That's a great line. Savage has some great stuff, but you know who I have to shout out here? Yes. Is Sensational Sherry, the queen herself, because she is having her own private interview behind yeah. Randy Savage. I don't know what the hell is going on, but I could not look away from, like, the crazy <laughs> charisma, magnetism, weirdness, like, Ultimate Warrior, please take a note here from Sensational Sherry because she is doing like the weird outer space visions gimmick better than you are. So take a look at one of the greatest performers in the WWF, please. This is why we do the show together because that to me was a highlight of the show. And I, I can see someone doing the show and not bringing that up. But she is swatting at shadows. She's having a conversation into the shoulder blades of Randy Savage. And... It is almost like that some version of Randy Savage died with Hogan and Elizabeth. Mm. And I feel like she is through some dark spell, like animating him so that <laughs> like everything that he is, is a dark animation of her imagination. And he's fucking awesome. But there's still a dead Randy Savage laying somewhere as well. <laughs> Something a little bit David Lynchian about uh, the yeah. Sherry. And that's beautiful. I love that. Watch this, folks. Like, if you don't watch anything else, watch her speaking into the shoulder blades and sw and, and swatting at flies that aren't there uh, while while the promo is going on. And 
it's just this building of intensity. It's that cauldron again. The cauldron is not present, but something is being stirred. Something is being moved. Something is being worked up. And it's it's this weird thing that heels almost have to do. And it's almost built as witchcraft or satanic. And Mr. Rogers, again, I didn't know we were going to have a callback. is going to teach you about it. It's okay to pretend to be a witch, folks. But baby faces <laughs> get their energy from the fans. And it's so clean and it's so decent and it's so beautiful. But how are you going to wrestle people who get energy from 20,000 people? you got to go somewhere to get the energy. And Sherry is, I don't know where she is. I don't know what she's tapping into. But she is working up an energy because they're about to go out there and wrestle a psycho with a two-by-four who is justified in beating up Savage, beating up Sherry because he says so. And he's going to get the fan support. Well, she's getting support from somewhere. I don't know where it is, but you can actively watch it happen. I'm all about Savage getting support from a witch and Sherry being that yeah. witch. That's beautiful. That fits in with everything we've been saying. It's, mm, this is, if this was my first presentation in the 1990, I would think that these two were like five minutes into the business and about to take over the world. <laughs> the energy is really incredible. I love it. It's so good. Ooh. And it's the right thing because... He's about to. He is about to uh, make us make it clear that Hacksaw is not coming back to this crown. Even though we have a lot to say about the match, I know I am because it is appalling. Some of the way it's booked. Oh yes, appalling. But the the good thing is at the end of the night, Hacksaw is still not the king. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Um, I will say this: the only critique I could have about Savage's presentation, I miss the short trunks. He's got the long tights now, yeah. and. Uh, those trunks, man, there's something about him, but that's the only thing I can possibly say because he, he is uh, bursting out here like he always was, and uh, it's great to see him. Yeah, and they do cover him a piece at a time until he's not fit to be in the ring anymore, so that, that is the trick that they pull over lots of years. <laughs> it's like a reverse Samson. You put more stuff on him, <laughs> and he's uh, losing his power, but yeah. man, he didn't lose any power at this time because uh, he, he is looking good. <laughs> Yeah, he was looking good till he comes to the ring. Uh, Babyface privilege is uh, so Savage comes out like being carried the same way all kings do, and then he's standing there and he's got to take off. He's got a lot of stuff on. Folks. <laughs> he does. So he's he's got to take it all off, which you know he simply has to do. And Vince McMahon just gets irate, like you know what is he doing to Hacksaw? You know, like everything a heel does is direct. They never do anything for themselves. It's always directly against the babyface. <laughs> Like it has nothing to do with Hacksaw. Hacksaw can't be patient and stand in the corner. He needs to go back to wrestling school. He needs to start over again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but uh, of course he won't because we, we get something. Um, Vince McDan does the Duggan like ho scream when he's coming yeah. out. So that'll tell you like he's not going to change. He's got the support of this man. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is one of the worst book matches I have ever watched in my life. Oh, some people say this is like one of the better Duggan matches. I don't know, maybe, like, from some perspective. But for yeah. me, like, I hated a lot of this just because of the way it was presented, the way it was booked, the way that uh, it looked – the way that it looked like Savage – couldn't have beat Duggan without the help of, like, Sherry and, like, a gun and maybe, yeah. like, the Spanish Armada and, like, drop a house on him. And, man, just, like, Savage should be above Duggan more clearly than he was presented in this match. 
Yeah, he can't even get an offense, much less like Duggan's got to have him beat seven ways, and he's got to. The only thing I felt the whole match is at least I get to see the elbow. At least I get to see the elbow, and we don't even get the elbow. Yeah, yeah. So like, what in the world? What like, what is the statement on this? But when you make it, when you create a character like Hacksaw, and you're not gonna let him win. These are the links you have to go to in order for to to satisfy this this maniac, and nothing happens because Hacksaw's no more or less Hacksaw. If, if anything, it would hurt Randy Savage, but you're not going to elevate Hacksaw because it's the same stupid Hacksaw. This is why he was in my list with guys who might have more obnoxious gimmicks because nobody pisses me off in the way that they're booked and the way they don't sell. Then Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who treats Savage like a jobber at times in this match. If it wasn't for Sherry, who Sherry has to be in four places at one time because she can't turn her back for one second or Savage is going to get pinned because he can't be in the ring with Duggan for five minutes without getting beat. <laughs> Sherry has to be in four places at once because Duggan is trying to kill her in three of those places. Yeah. Um, yeah. This is like Duggan, he will try to clothesline Sherry at ringside and barely miss her. Um, this big man will declare he screams she deserves whatever she gets, which freaked me out a little. That's kind of creepy. Um, he will chase her around. He will grab her by the butt and hike up her skirt yep. because he's a, a hero, apparently. Um, he will do all this stuff, and he will deserve it when he gets slapped in the face again with that weighted purse. And, of course, he's got a kick out of that, too, because for some reason it feels like the focus of this match is halfway just to, like, prove that Duggan is just so tough. And, like, man, we don't need to know it. We He says tough guy. That's enough. You, we yeah. don't have to see this. So Maybe it works for his fans. Maybe it works for WWF's audience. But with my bias, Ugh. I leave this match feeling Duggan ten times weaker than I already thought he was because if this is what you need in order to be over, then you're pathetic. Right, right, yeah. There's... I don't know if this is Vince. Someone says a seesaw match back and forth, and I was like, okay, but I've also never seen a more one-sided match, so how do we square <laughs> this? Right, like, that seesaw is not going up and down, my friend. Oh, uh, yeah, no. This was not good. I did not enjoy this, to be honest. I, no. You know, the, the pre-stuff with Savage was great, but uh, this match made me feel a little bit ill, so... Savage wins at least. He's got to have his foot on the ropes, the help of Sherry, and, like, I think the National Guard came in and attacked uh, Jim Duggan also, just so we're clear that he should have won the match. Um, yeah, no, shouldn't have gone down this way. What is it in WWF? Like like you said, he could shoot him between the eyes and he couldn't pin him, but whether it's <laughs> Warrior or Hacksaw, the only way you can get pinned is that little suplex into the ring where the manager trips you and holds your legs, and this time Savage also has his legs on the rope to double it up. But what is it about that spot that you can pin a, a warrior or a hacksaw, but no other way in the universe can it be done? Maybe ropes are like their kryptonite, because you can yeah. also beat up a baby face like when they're sliding into the ring. So, mm. yeah, I don't know, just something about that transitional area really gets them. I think it's too, it's the biggest sneak away. Like, they got it's got to really be, like, he snuck one. He sneaked it by, like, he, he fell on him. And three seconds happened. It was halfway in the ring. He's out of the ring so he can slide out. Like it, it just cannot in any way be that they were like person to person in the middle of the ring. Because in the <laughs> middle of the ring is the space of heroes and saints. Right. Yeah. Even with the gun, like that's too uh, heroic to use a gun. Yeah. Like you got to sneak with the ropes. You're exactly right. You got to use a purse. 
You know, you got to do something that's not, you know, respectable like a gun would be. Yeah, there's not an ounce of decency in that booking. Uh, Savage just Sherry had an amazing promo. I just pretend like the match didn't happen. Savage is on his way to Dusty. Uh, Hacksaw is on his way to somebody because I saw it this morning, but I can't remember who. <laughs> I feel like what you were talking about before, and we've heard it before. I think Steve came on the show and said it like flat out. Is Jim Duggan is like a very nice person in life, which is hard for me a little bit to wrap my mind around because he's so obnoxious on screen. But uh, maybe that's to your point because this guy will stick around for a long time in different places and just uh, be used and be used and be used. So maybe that's it. Maybe he's just super nice. If he is, that is awesome. The world needs nice people. But, man, he's not being nice to me when he's being on screen. He's being very cruel, actually. It wasn't nice to Matt Bourne, either. He wouldn't sell anything at that show. But that's. <laughs> I mean, he won't sell anyone for anyone, though. So yeah. it's not like he singled anybody out, for God's sake. It just it makes oh, well. it's weak. It's weak to me. Hulk Hogan, like it's had vulnerable moments in this series, and I don't know if Hacksaw Jim Duggan has. Yeah, I think. Like, how uh, is that? Yeah, I don't get it. These characters who could never be affected by anything, who never show an ounce of vulnerability, they really are the worst. They're the worst of all. Yeah, I will say in praise of WWF, like right in front of my eyes, they were building perfect and genius. And I was like, I, I don't believe this is happening. What is going on? But we've arrived at this time where it's Hogan and Warrior versus Perfect and Genius. And if you had told me at any time in my life that I would see this as a damn near 50-50 matchup, <laughs> like, it's, it, it's props to Perfect, props to the booking. But, like, I am not going to say that anybody is just going to go over Mr. Perfect right now. Right, yeah. I mean, I wish that were true, and we'll we'll see the lie of that at WrestleMania yeah. to our mourning. But um, but yeah, in this moment, Mr. Perfect being presented well, he destroyed that title, which shockingly does not get a lot of conversation. Like no. that hasn't been mentioned, I think, on any of the shows that we've watched. Um, so that's kind of a crime. That's but, a mistake. Uh, yeah, Mr. Perfect though, looking very good. I agree with that. He's so fierce. Like he he says in the promo. And this shout out to Hogan too. Like the genius already holds a victory over the Hulkster, you know. <laughs> and I thought Genius did a good job too. He talks about, you know, in his poem you have a partner stupider than he is. <laughs> genius was definitely looking a lot better here than in his yes. past couple appearances, because uh, you know, he, he focused on the shtick, which I think works better, not like the prancing and the weird yeah. effeminate but just being kind of like more of a regular manager um, slash wrestler. So I, I, I always thought Lenny Poffo was good, and uh, he, he showed me here that he is indeed better than his last few showings would make him out to be. This is partly why I can't watch WWE now. Partly they just don't – shows are not as good as this. But if you ever get – if they ever book someone like they do, Mr. Perfect, and you get into it – you can bet there's going to be a Bruce B. pick to beat them and end it somewhere for no reason. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even know what to say about that. I've never seen that match. I don't want to see that match. We're going to have to watch it. So I guess I will try to articulate at that time. But in the meantime, I don't want to think about it. I just I, – it, I don't think they've done anything quite as well as this Mr. Perfect feud in a long time. Or Mr. Perfect push. It's just – it's just in your face, and I've not seen a heel like him in my life where he just 
he talks like he's a baby face. Like he talks with the conviction of these baby faces, and there ain't no, ain't damn sure ain't one because like he is, he is looked down upon by all the baby faces. But like I don't think he's aware of it. He is just right there telling you facts in your face, and right now the booking backs it up. And that is the hardest thing for a baby face to get over is when a heel talks like this and is backing it up because then the system is damn near going to implode. Absolutely, and I gotta say in the ring. Um, I'm a huge fan of Kurt Hanning in general, so yeah, I agree with everything you said. And then in the ring, not only is he doing this world-class, spring-loaded, uh, awesome bumping. Maybe someone thinks it's over the top, maybe it is, but I don't know. I love it. But on top of that, like, his offense is brutal here. Like, yeah. the way he is hammering people, he looks like he could have taken a lesson from Greg Valentine. Like, his attitude is so intense. He is like... He's on top of the world here, man, for sure. He is. He is. And my thought would have always been, I think definitely, there's a lot of people that you're going to be a bigger fan of than me to start. Because like I said, mm-hmm. I didn't watch a lot of WWF and I kind of disliked it because of the way it was presented to me. Right. So like Rick Martel, I got to catch up on Demolition. Perfect, I would have always said like he's a great wrestler, but he damn sure ain't better than the IC title because a lot of times I watched him, I didn't like his personality. His personality is like, all right, it's kind of irritating, it's kind of, it's kind of okay, but in his promos, in his storyline, and in his wrestling, like he might as well be six foot seven or six foot eight in everything he's doing. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah. No, he is. Uh, he is in one of his peak moments here, and he's looking great. And there's no damn way he should be losing to Brutus Beefcake in a couple months. No. For God's sake. <sighs> All right, we'll see that when it comes. I've never had anyone in the history of the world, and I've watched wrestling for, what, now 30 years? Like, yeah. tell me, oh, man, have you watched uh, that Mr. Perfect run against Hulk Hogan in, in the early 90s run? But I wish somebody had. <laughs> it's Because, like, we haven't seen them wrestle, and I don't know if we're going to. Do they wrestle at the main event or anything? Um, main event will be Savage and Hogan. Yeah, so, like... Where's the payoff, I guess, maybe is the critique yeah. here. Maybe it's something that we can dig out. But, yeah, like, it's been a great feud. Like I said, the title breaking was cool and nobody's talking about it. I just, I guess, the wrong place, the wrong time, I guess, because they're all yeah. in on Warrior now and Perfect kind of gets forgotten about. But, man, yeah, there's some great stuff in here. It was. It's a weird thing because it's right on time in that I think the only way to give Hogan and Warrior something believable, but it's also wrong place, wrong time, because it did not get its payoff, because we got to get to WrestleMania season. We got to get the Hogan and Warrior in their clothesline uh, marathon. And here's the really dumb part. We got to keep that Mr. Perfect winning streak intact so the beefcake can break it. Like, yeah. God, just let just do Hogan and Perfect at the main event. It's not a tired match. And, um... You know, let it let Hogan break it. You know, if somebody has to break it, better Hogan than fucking Beefcake, for God's sake. Yeah, I got zero desire to see Savage and Hogan again, I'll tell you that much. For sure. I will say this. I have heard that Hogan and Perfect did not draw very well on the house show circuit. Mm. So maybe that influenced the decision. Maybe it just didn't work for the fans at the time, like it's working for us now. But I still think it's a damn shame because they have shown a lot of chemistry together, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's fair. And I I figured, because my thing would be, if he was drawing well, just put him over Beefcake and let SummerSlam be Warrior and Perfect instead of Warrior and Rude. Ooh, yeah. That could have been a lot. But yeah, yeah. 
Uh, you can't like do much about the drawing, so. Right. Yeah, it's a shame. Okay, so we got Hogan and Warrior. Warriors pacing Hogan and Gene. Hogan says that he was warned that there would be turbulence. I have never seen anybody in the world who can detect turbulence. Like he creates the turbulence and sends it out and then detects it coming in. Like, oh my God, you see that turbulence? Where did that come from? Uh, well, you were just cooking it up in a pot, but we're not gonna we're not gonna show that on the camera. Right. Uh, I also love his language. I turned the warrior loose. So even in that, he is the one that he is the one doing it. Warrior is like his to turn loose. <laughs> See Hogan perhaps maneuvering to uh, Little Buddy, the Ultimate Warrior. Um, it will not. Uh, I guess it won't work as well, although maybe it will in the end. Depends on your uh, perspective. Yeah, and Warrior's talking about reactive chemicals and boiling and bubbling and a common bond that's stronger. <laughs> it's funny. Ultimate Warrior, uh, for all his flaws, is doing exactly what Randy Savage should have done the whole time. He just basically no sells. Yes. All Hogan's attempts to like be friends or like create a narrative around them and Warrior, <laughs> like he's completely unaffected by anything that Hogan is saying, just like you said earlier. Yeah, this is why he beats Hogan at WrestleMania because Hogan can't touch him. And the promo ends with Hulk Hogan running up on Warrior and screaming like Warrior. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's weird to see. Ultimate Warrior won that round because Hogan Hogan was going for it, you know. And Warrior, it miss, it, he either no-sells it or it just misses him because he doesn't even understand narratives. But either way, Hulk Hogan's got to find another way. And, you know, I don't think he has another way. So we'll see We'll see what goes down. But right now, Ultimate Warrior is winning this feud by not engaging it. Yeah, this feud, such as it is, I'll say again, like the booking of this is so sparse compared mm-hmm. to Hogan Savage and the whole big run-up to WrestleMania 4 and, of course, Hogan Andre. I don't know if they've even hit Hogan Bundy levels of build, honestly. And that was like Bundy put Hogan on a stretcher once. So now they're going to wrestle again, you know, and it was cool. It worked. And like, I don't think we've even come up to that much booking in this one yet. I wonder if they're fearful because they've created a world where baby faces don't do this. Right. And I'm shocked that the fans don't just start booing either one of them. But it does feel like every time they go at it they get the least ovation that they get in the night because I don't think the fans even know how to respond to it. Yeah, no, it's true. Um, and yet, you know, they'll pack uh, 67,000 fans yeah. or something in there. So, like, uh, people wanted to see it. You can't always go by the pop because sometimes people are just, like, they just want to see what will happen. Yeah. You know, the pop, it means a lot, but it doesn't mean everything. So you can't always judge by that. Yeah, I just wonder, the reason I bring that up is, I just don't know what the fans are capable or not capable of at that time because, you know, there's there's genres to everything, and the fans don't chant a lot of things. They definitely don't turn on the product very often. But there had to be at least some fear Mm. that if you did too much either way, like if you hurt the stock of one of these guys, like you need the culmination really to be WrestleMania six, and and it's going to be hot at WrestleMania six, but – I would be afraid of of everything that I did. Like I'd be watching at the curtain every time to make sure I didn't fuck Warrior or Hogan in the build up to this thing. Yeah, it's funny because yeah, like it's a risk and they're rolling the dice for sure. But uh, next year when they try to go back to something more traditional, uh, it'll be so bad that they'll have to take it out of the stadium and put it in like a much smaller arena. So mm. you know, it, it paid off in a way that later more traditional feuds will not. Here's a question for you. Do you think there would be any merit in an Ultimate Warrior as a heel at any point in this era? Um, 
I'll say as much merit as there is in anything the Ultimate Warrior does, because what does yeah. he do that's babyface in the first place? You know, um, he he would have to defy heelness the same way he defies babyfaceness. Like he would just act the same. He would just beat up different people, right? Um, but then again, yeah. he beats up Hogan and like he doesn't get booed for it. So I don't even know. I can't quite wrap my mind around that. Like, what would he do differently that would make him a heel? Yeah, I don't even know. I'm just wondering because I think, like, I don't believe this stuff. People like uh, Bruce Pritchard's like, you know, I was fighting to have Hogan turn heel because I thought, oh, he's like, he's running his course and it's time. You know, that's so easy to say after. Like, Hogan, <laughs> Hogan shot. What Hogan did becoming Hollywood Hogan and it working is it might be as amazing as anything he did in the 80s. So now I'm saying that I don't believe it. But, like, to me, if one of them had to turn heel later on, it would almost have to be a warrior, and I don't even know if it would work. I just don't know. These are conversations for later, but I feel like we need to find a hundred different ways to book WrestleMania Seven because it sure didn't get booked the way it needed to go. Oh yeah, we'll have a lot of conversation. That'll take shape as we get closer to it, I think. Yeah. But man, I'm just imagining what would he do? He would like use black face paint instead and it would just be like hogan wearing black in 95 or whatever you know like it just wouldn't be any different i can't imagine like he could never pull off the hollywood turn like hogan did he could never give those promos he could never get that character over it's impossible so what would he do yeah would he walk to the ring would that be his heel move like that's the only thing he has going for him so yeah i don't know like you could try, I guess. I just don't – I can't even imagine what it would look like and succeed. Yeah, the more I talk about it, the more I don't think it has any energy to it. Yeah. I just don't know. Like, didn't, is there a chance you should have Babyface Hogan challenger versus uh, Warrior Babyface world champion at WrestleMania 7? I think that might have been talked about. Um, yeah, I don't know. We'll, 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 we'll think about that as we get closer to it. Yeah. All right. So we, we're going to the ring – for what is really the main event of the show, it's Mr. Perfect, and it is uh, the genius taking on Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. Yeah, and I really, this match, it's not a great match, it's not a bad match either, it kind of maybe surpassed my expectations, I would say, and a lot of that is really on Mr. Perfect, who I thought looked, as you were saying, just incredibly on point here. Yeah, I had this, to me, this was a good pace, good fun, good energy. Sure, uh, so perfect is bumping for Hogan like a prelude to SummerSlam uh, 2005. So that's something. That's something, I, yeah. <laughs> it does have a little bit of that energy. And yet, I don't know, like, it doesn't have that flavor of it, though. Maybe because Mr. Perfect does this for everybody. He's not singling yeah. out Hogan. But, man, like, there's a point. Hogan, like, hits his head on the turnbuckle. I swear Mr. Perfect, like, ricochets up 10 feet in the air, spins around, and, like, falls directly on his ass, and, man, the crowd popped. Like, it could have hardly looked any better, I think. Just something about it really works yeah. for me. There's a lot that works. So Hogan dominates at the beginning. Then Warrior comes in and imitates the domination. So they both got that. <laughs> then I was wondering, who's going to be the guy who gets beat down? That happens to be Hulk Hogan. So you get perfect and genius dominating Hogan with mostly perfect doing it and genius coming in for intervals like uh, managers tend to do. Mm. And... Like it's good, it's good energy. Fans are into it. I also noticed I hadn't thought about this, but there's a force behind Hulkamania that it's not storyline and it's not Hogan's pettiness, but both of those are real too, of course. Mm-hmm. But it's just almost like fitting in history 
the Sa- Hogan has so destroyed everything that is Randy Savage because Randy Savage betrayed Hulkamania by not betraying Hulkamania but betraying Hulkamania <laughs> that it just so happens he now has to like wipe out the rest of like Randy Savage's family. You know, just for like God intends it, that, you know, the, the burn it all down. <laughs> it um, there's certain mafia uh, feeling to it for sure. Yeah. I definitely thought of that. Is um, how do you think? And I don't want to read too much into this, but how do you think Randy Savage felt when he heard that Lanny Poffo was going to get a win over Hogan in that uh. other event? Like, I. Maybe Savage was chill about it, but I can just imagine him like gritting his teeth until they start to crack when he heard that. Yeah, no, I don't think he would be a big fan of it, but <laughs> it's beautiful in a way that like Hogan, like there's definitely moments in the 80s and early 90s where Hogan behaves like later on Hogan, but there still are a lot of moments like he puts perfect over big. Like we we are we are made to believe that Mr. Perfect has Hogan in the perfect plex has him pinned, would pin him, and sticks his hand out to stop the referee from doing it in the meantime. Mm, yeah, yeah. That's that's not small. And so, mm. and Hogan, though, is the one taking the fall. So if he's the one going out, leaving the company, like he's put perfect over big time here. He's going to put Ultimate Warrior over on WrestleMania. So you can't say in this instance that he did not at least set up the table for folks to do what they're going to do with it in 1990. Yep, yep. Hogan um, putting in some work here, for sure. Uh, but he also does get the pin. Um, the ending was sort of like kind of frantic to me. Uh, maybe a little messy. Hogan hits a leg drop, which looked really weird on the genius. Uh, he does get that win after the match. Uh, they're scuffling with the heels, and Warrior accidentally clotheslines Hogan, and they have to kind of shove each other a little bit. So I can't say that part of the story is really thrilling me very much. But uh, it certainly is the way that baby faces would feud. So, you know, here we are. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me because Warrior does his military press and then Hogan tags himself and Warrior's going out the ropes. And I thought that was going to begin the contention that Hogan like super sneaks that leg drop and gets the pin off the Warrior's offense. Mm -hmm. And it's it's, it's booked like that, but then it just doesn't happen. Like the the last part doesn't happen. And then, (laughs) you know... We just get Warrior accidentally clotheslining Hogan, which is stupid because like, right. like if that's if you, if it, either you're as big an idiot as you seem like you are, and that's not good for anybody, or you did it on purpose. And so, <laughs> the only good thing is Jesse Ventura calls it from the beginning, like you said. Like, like why did they come to the ring separately if they're attacking? You know, there you go, maniacs, and they're not on the same page. <laughs> yep, once again, Ventura. Makes the right prediction, uh, despite everyone just, like, shitting on his prediction. It comes true. So, good job, Jesse Ventura. You got it again. I'm interested to see what the main event will be. because we're, It was going to be Mike Tyson. It won't be because Tyson's going to lose. And that's also, my God, when you think about history, because almost nothing is going to launch Steve Austin, weirdly, more than that Tyson and Austin uh, yeah. thing. And I don't know if it would be the same if it was just, like, another appearance from Mike Tyson. Yeah, I definitely thought of that. Like, I don't know the history of boxing really at all. I'm very ignorant about that stuff. So, uh, yeah, they talk about Mike Tyson a lot. It won't actually be him. Um, yeah, it, it's weird because you'd also think that they would want to bring him for WrestleMania and not, like, yeah. the main event. So that's yeah. weird, too. And then, yeah, like, it could have been Tyson and it wasn't. And just, like, it's kind of a weird little historical footnote. It's so, it's so small and so big because – 
we're going to get into this, and this is going to be another thing that we're going to talk to death because I don't think other people do, is the how close WWF was to just getting beat out of existence yep. before this 97-98 run. And so everything that happens in their favor it changes history. And it might have been just as hot, but it's, I just don't know if it was just like, oh, well, Mike Tyson makes his return, you know, versus that unpredictable moment of Mike Tyson in the WWF and Mike, Mike Tyson with Steve Austin. So it, it had to suck at the time because I think Tyson was just dominating the world, but he just happened to get beat. And then he decides he's not coming on this. And they're like, they tried to get him, I think, like, oh, it'd be good for your image, but. I think they end up having to go another way. Mm. So it's just these little things, folks, that happen here and there. But we will get to that at the main event. We will. And it, didn't in 98, again, I don't know anything about anything in boxing, but wasn't Mike Tyson, like, on the outs or something? Like, he was yeah. not. Uh, yeah, so, like, it's doubly weird that he would come in and he he would really set the table for, yeah, Austin kind of, like, breaking out even more so. And eventually, you know, he's going to break that streak not long after that winning streak of Nitro. So there's a lot going on there for sure. Yeah, so there's a lot of legacy uh, to unfold. Gene Okerlund is with Jake the Snake Roberts. Jake the Snake Roberts has stolen the IC title, fans, and I'll give you one guess as to where that belt now is located. Uh, The best thing about this... Excuse me, that million-dollar title. uh, Yeah, uh, the best thing about... Oh, the belt being in the bag with the snake, man, that's just a little piece of brilliance. And you know, you got to know Jake Roberts thought of that because that's so him. That's exactly the kind of thing he always adds to his matches to make them more interesting. This promo was so great with Gene, like wondering if the belt's in the bag. And Jake is like, yeah, go ahead, reach in and touch something and see if you feel it in there. And man, like you get a little chill out of that for all the fact that if Jake has a long match, you might click to another tab. And that's fair. Like, he still adds these things, which make his matches and his storylines unique, and I really appreciate that about him. And it's special because Gene likes to favor all the baby faces, but he, <laughs> like, there's a line with Jake the Snake because he does not like, you know, the snake. So they have a dynamic that is different, I think, than any other baby face in Gene. So, like, mm. Gene's always being threatened by Jake, even though Jake's a baby face. <laughs> in a year and a half... Uh, Jake will be um, shut out of uh, Savage's uh, bachelor party, and uh, it's because they all find him a little bit creepy, even when he is a baby face, and that, mm. you know, we know the ramifications that's going to have, so I feel like there's a hint of that there, one of those seeds you were talking about, you plant it here, it grows into something later, you, you love to see that. Imagine being raised in a Christian home where you don't even have a television, for the first years of your life. So you don't even know TV. All you know is Bible and religion. And then the year pretty much that you get television, you start watching a thing called professional wrestling. And the first thing they tell you is there's going to be a match made in heaven and a match made in hell. (laughs) Wow, man. I got I got a lot to say one day, but you know. <laughs> I don't know. I I count it as very lucky because you wouldn't be here otherwise. I count it as very lucky that your parents were ignorant enough of your watching habits that they let you watch this stuff. Because coming from like my own conservative religious background, there are probably times when my parents wouldn't have wanted me to watch wrestling at all. So um, I'm glad that uh, you didn't hit that obstacle at that particular time. Yeah, it's invitations though, like. 
when you're watching that, there's a chance that if they didn't speak the only language I knew at the moment I started watching them, maybe I don't continue watching them. But I understood deeply what a match made in heaven and a match made in hell would be like without them telling me anything else. That, that's a beautiful thing. I'll and I love that. It, it stands in my mind. Like, I don't know how I'll like it or not. I never go back to it. It's just a feeling in my chest right now. It's a color. It's the sky. It's some clouds. It's some blue. It's a Randy Savage cowboy hat. It's a Jake Roberts and Sid Justice. Dear God, those two lurking in the background, you know. But a match made in heaven and a match made in hell is so simplistic and so deep at the same time. And, you know, it's these beautiful things, man. Yeah. I, I will say this and I'll shut up. But, like, I went to college uh, as someone who had just left, like, ministry and fundamentalist religion. I didn't have anything. I didn't know anything. And all these literary short stories are very uh, intellectual and there's like nothing happening and that's the beautiful thing. But it's a little ironic twist if you look at the grass and like what the grass is doing in line three. And I didn't know any of this and I'm not prepared. All I know is like Pentecostal fire and the King James Bible. And like I have been brave enough to leave all of that and to try something I don't know, and I'm taking literature, and that's going to be my home, and there's nothing there that appeals to me. And I realize you have no place in the world except that place that you once were. None of this is for you. And we read one Tim O'Brien story where he says, but this too is true. Stories can save us. And I know that word save. And he's talking my language and it's big enough and it's felt enough and it's emotional enough that one story can be my home to get through that class and to give me somewhere to stand. And it's the same thing as the match made in heaven and the match made in hell. Those little things that either come or they don't come. The raft that gets you across or nothing. And I'm deeply thankful for those moments. The richest times in my life, the fact that I'm sitting here having this conversation with you might be in part because they had a match made in heaven and a match made in hell, and that's the only thing I could understand at the time. That's beautiful. I'm, I'm very grateful now for that uh, beautiful branding, that piece of marketing, because it is a great line, and the fact that it brought you here is awesome. It almost makes up for the fact that that match made in hell is truly a match made in hell. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> we're going to suffer through that. When we get there, but you know what? It's exciting anyway. Something about that line always gets me, and in part, I know it's because it's a touchstone for you, and it's just a, it's a great line. I'm looking forward because that 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 event will kick off one of the greatest uh, six month periods I think that we're gonna cover. It does. It, it, it is a revival. They have barely left their heyday, and yet it's still a revival of their heyday. Mm-hmm. You know, and I don't know if they knew it. I don't know if anyone else knows it, but this, this show is going to know it. You know, we're, yeah, we got Ric Flair, The Undertaker, Sid Justice, Hulk Hogan, Ultimate Warrior. Like you got people who don't some of them you would think were never in the, com- the company at the same time. And yet it's just like people are just like they just leave the door open. Like you can leave or you can come like anything goes right now. <laughs> Randy Savage, Roddy Piper, Jake yeah. Roberts, um, yeah. you know, everybody in there. <laughs> Papa Shango is there. Undertaker. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels will uh, will will be a main eventing pay per view soon yeah. after. Like man, it's just Davy Boy Smith. That, the, the, the mix with Bret Davy then Shawn Davy is also this is again. Yeah. Shawn and Bret can't get away from each other. They share the British Bulldog and the IC title in that era. <laughs> 
Oh, yes, man, that's beautiful. I'm excited. Oh, man, I am I am someone who used to be a very emotional person who for 10 or so years can barely ever feel emotion, and I, I stumbled into something today in that conversation, so I am thankful for folks allowing me to go there because something hit in a way that I was not expecting, and I will have to think about it later. But, yeah, so good stuff. Um, I am really – I think Greg Valentine's having a – a little revival here himself. So uh, I think I don't want to say by WrestleMania, but before the end of this year, his hair is going to be black. So don't speak too soon. But uh, in the meantime, you are right. Coming off an awesome wrestle or uh, Royal rumble match here, man. I could watch him just hammer people all day long. He's got the best, most accurate nickname in wrestling history. Cause yes, he's here pummeling Jake Roberts in a way that I'm not sure Jake is equipped to handle. This is another one where WWF to me presented something that could have been even better because uh, Greg Valentine and Jimmy Hart uh, they said we're uh, we got to beat Jake the Thief Roberts first so we're not gonna think about you know all the IC title or the, uh, the million dollar title and Gene's like I got one question what if you uh, get your hands on that title and he said that's not one question that's a million questions um, and so I was just thinking you got your Jake and Ted DiBiase in a feud already what if when all this Ted DiBiase and Jake stuff, what if Greg Valentine and Jimmy Hart did steal the million-dollar title? Uh, you know, what wrestling doesn't have enough of, especially in this time, is legitimate three-way feuds. And I know because they don't have the language to, like, really talk about that yet. But, uh, man, like, what a, what a thing that could have been. I love when there's not just, like, the two poles pulling against each other. You add a third direction, and, man, you add a whole dimension to a feud that you will not yes. get anywhere else. Yes, a hundred times over. That's what makes the 91, 92, and 97. Yeah. And it's just, I can imagine segments where DiBiase is calling Greg Valentine Jimmy Hart to negotiate. He thinks he's going to run him over, and he keeps not getting it, and that thing just like heating up. You know, you might even get a baby face running at Greg Valentine for all I know. I was just, yeah, like he'll turn face when it's too late to matter, sadly. Mm. Uh, but if he turned face here against DiBiase, man, I could have I really gotten behind that. You can see a lot of good stuff out of that. Yeah. Better than what he's going to be doing, so. <laughs> it's fun. It's not going to happen. This is going to be fun because I love the storyline. I love the belt with the snake. Mm. Um, I thought this was a pretty good match. I, I thought Greg Valentine, again, I think yeah. he's doing well. DiBiase's going to be out there. <laughs> the uh, length so. is better for Jake also. So. <laughs> I do, too. I do, too. Um, yeah. Uh, in the end, Jake does hit that DDT. Big pop. Ted and Virgil come down. To cause the DQ. Uh, Jake rallies, and in one of the best visuals we will talk about today, he unloads that sack, and both the title and the snake wrapped around mm. it come out. And man, that's a beautiful thing to see for me. It is. There's so much contrast there, so much juxtaposition of there's a million dollar title wrapped around a snake in a bag. And this is WWF, folks. If anything, is WWF. The feeling of that is like it's right there. You can reach out and take yeah, it. Like you can physically it. get it. You just gotta get get it away from this snake. And you're not gonna do that. You're gonna run for the hills instead. So that that'll tell you something on a deep human level about what your integrity and what your level of bravery is. It does. And of course, Virgil is forced to try to do it because that is what <laughs> always happens. You know. And what a thing though that you got like greedy Ted DiBiase, Jimmy Hart. Like you got all kinds of people who can, who they're, they're one arm reach away, but they ain't none of them got the character or the, like you know, 
You can go buy the world title from Andre, but you can't stick your hand down there to get the million dollar title yourself. <laughs> if you could pay that snake, his problems would be over, but it's not going to work. Yeah. Man, that's a, that is good, though. There is something. Putting a million dollar title in a bag with a snake. Yep. That's a beautiful thing. Oh, play. man. All right, so. Jesse Ventura is with uh, Rick Rude and Bobby Heenan. Uh, he says, I'm a journalist, Bobby. And he's like, I know that, Jess. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, such this, um, oh man, I don't really understand. Like, if you want to call Dusty Rhodes fat, fine. Like, he's fat. Like, it's clear he owns it. The weird thing to me is they always talk about how Sapphire's fat, and she she doesn't look yeah. fat. So it's like, you know, she's no more fat than Bobby Heenan. I guess they're yeah. just being like hypocritical or something. But uh, it just comes across weirdly. It feels a little bit like it's Vince McMahon talking, and he just wants to like insult this woman. So. It's weird. I'm not going to say it's bad because there will be some fun stuff here too, but, like, these promos come off strangely to me. Yeah, I, I take that point. I will I will say I, I am in love with some of this stuff, so I'm, I will might have to Some take of it point. is good. It's just, like, this talking point is just a weird one for me. It's also the limitations of Rick Rude, though, because, like, I like him as a character sometimes, but everything if everything comes back to i am the masculine ideal then everything has to fit inside that scope like he could get, he could get upset or try to prove himself for another reason once in a while and it wouldn't be the end of the world <laughs> i think he'll shed a little of that as we go so we'll see i did kind of like him saying like oh well sapphire obviously she'll just uh, abandon dusty come over to me and i'm like okay sure yeah i think that's what rick rude would think you know it's not gonna be yes. true but this is what i tried the book not knowing it ever existed <laughs> Yeah, right? We talked about this. This could have been, like, SummerSlam uh, yes. later this year, potentially. And I'm more sold on it because, like, again, this has no hype to it whatsoever. And it's going to get a good ovation, and they're going to do well together. And Dusty Rhodes is also going to put motion to Rick Rude, which is always a good thing. <laughs> always a good thing. I think you're going to like this a little more than I did. But, yeah, you could see something in here that I think uh, is exactly what we were talking about. So if you expand on that, what do you get? We'll never know, but uh, it yeah. could have been something more potentially. Gene, uh, Sapphire says that uh, Rick Rude is nothing next to Dusty. So at least words-wise, she's not sold on Rick Rude, but we'll see if that stays true. Gene Oakland asks, is this the decade of the common man? Is it the decade of Dusty? Uh, <laughs> Dusty, Even Dusty knows it's not, but so he just takes the compliment. Keeps on going. He likes the sound of it, uh, but it's the decade of the common woman. And uh, what about Bobby Heenan? I like Gene, yeah, Gene says, what about Bobby Heenan? And Dusty said, well, what about Sapphire? So it's <laughs> a good line. Um, I think uh, Vince McMahon may have been kicking himself for doing the polka dot thing because there aren't enough puns about polka dots that yeah. you can do. So somehow the talking point becomes, oh, Dusty Rhodes, he's so in touch with the times. It's his decade. Vince McMahon mm -hmm. will shout that polka dots are the in thing. So I don't know if they really thought this through, but this is the way they're going. Yeah, there's not a lot they can do with it. And also, you know, when you make someone a ribbon, then you probably realize that, oh, yeah, they, they actually are, uh, are doing good work. You know, maybe I could have got something out of this other than a good laugh, but, you know, nothing beats a good laugh. So <laughs> Not for Vince McMahon. <sighs> There's a weird, 
I'm going to call it a weird, like, reverse honky-tonk man thing going on here, because Ventura now is the one disgusted by, like, the music and the movements, and Mm. Miss McMahon is the one who will go so far as, like, to tell lies about what his partner is doing. He's like, oh, he's tapping (laughs) his foot. He's getting into it. So it's just, like, the reverse. It's also the reverse because Dusty is actually good. So that's my take. That's a smart point. And... I his, I love his music. I was th- I was hearing his music a few hours after the show the other day. So it's good music, I like it. Um, he works on the lower back of Rick Rude. One thing that I love is that after he's working on it for a little while, Rick Rude goes for a slam, and Dusty does not even attempt to stop the slam, and then Rick Rude's lower back does it for him. Indeed. And then Rude sells, which is one of the best things he does, and then Dusty kind of gyrates around Rick Rudishly. <laughs> so it's a nice moment. It gives you a hint of what they maybe could have done together, given, like, a full thing to work with. And whether you like the match or not, because later on I thought thought it went on a little long, but I honestly looked for Bobby Heenan because the crowd was just screaming throughout the beginning of the match nonstop. I thought Heenan was, like, you know, aggravating them, and Heenan's just standing standing by the apron looking in the ring, so it's just them reacting to the matchup. Yeah, no, people were very into this. They were very excited. Um, I did think the match was a little long. I think Rick Rude uh, looked a little lazy, as usual, at yeah. times. But, uh, you know, the, the crowd was into it. There was definitely some fun stuff. Um, you see, like, the hints, the potential in here. Yeah. Rick Rude had put as much effort into this match as he did some of these Warrior matches that he tried to make good that God knows what we might have gotten. And there's something about 1990 where WWF, for me, is – they're doing more and better than I expected, but it's opening up the door for how much more they could have done. <laughs> no, it's a so, great point. I think we'll see that more than once, and we already have. So Bobby Heenan and Sapphire get kicked out, and Sapphire, which is just like a common woman, like get it done thing, a smart thing, is just like she goes in there and buys a ticket, and now she's got a ticket. So, the, but the symbolism that they didn't—I don't—if it's a bigger feud, maybe they could have played it up more. She sit, ends up sitting in the seat that the women are always in, like Jake's wife and everything, <laughs> when, when Rude is doing his thing. So I thought they were opening up that symbolism, but they really didn't go there that much, right? You know, so I just could see a million ways where this could have worked. Otherwise, I thought it was a great reaction. I love seeing Dusty. I thought the beginning of the match was really good. I thought it went on a little long and got kind of dull, like Miss Van said, but. You can see a lot of potential here, and so there's something to that. Definitely so. Um, I can't uh, say I was impressed by the ending of the match much. It just kind of ends weirdly, I guess, with a double count out. Like, I wasn't even 100% sure. Yeah, that went weird. Um, But then uh, Sapphire dances with Dusty, and Ventura has to go on and on about how disgusting it is. And again, just like, come on, like, there are better talking points you can make than that one. And it's so much more. Dusty is the most decent baby face because yeah. he's never really beating people up. He doesn't have a two-by-four scissors. Like, he's dancing and happy. Right. So, like, if that – like, you could like him or not like him, but if that was the most baby faces did, then I would have to change some of my, like, systemic <laughs> parameters. You know, but it's, it's something that, you know, Heenan and – it makes Heenan and Rude look like they frame heels. Like, oh, they're super mad and angry all the time, and Dusty's having a good time. You know, so mm-hmm. so different than watching what Hacksaw does after a match, for example. Right. Dusty's not out to abuse everybody um, like some people are. He's not being a bully. He just uh, wants to live a common, happy life. Yeah. So there you go. And it's not true all the time, but, you know, when you put as much work into yourself as someone like Rude – 
you might end up being more insecure or, you know, more like Dusty's out there yeah. just living his life and having a good time. And all Rude has is a little promo thing about like, well, I look better than you do. <laughs> somebody as fit as Rude. Um, there's a good chance that, yeah, if you see somebody who's both fat and happy, you probably hate that guy. So there's something, <laughs> yeah. there's something that's going on potentially there. Man, you could have a year's worth of feuds that boil down to people just being upset with how happy Dusty is. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm really looking for because he's going to have um, he's going to have this feud with uh, with Randy Savage. He's going to have a feud, I think, with Ted DiBiase. I think he's going to have Dustin Rhodes involved. And uh, there's going to be a lot going on with Dusty. So I continue to enjoy this run in spite of uh, kind of our initial misgivings. Yeah, I'm just disappointed. Like so many of these, yeah. we didn't get any more hype with Savage and Dusty and they're in the same building together. Yeah, sure. They're going to be fighting, too, at uh, at WrestleMania. So, you know, come on. Yeah, they had some beef at the Royal Rumble, so let's let's get it on, you know. Come on. Absolutely. Uh, weirdly, Gene Okerlund is with uh, Jimmy Hart, Dino Bravo, and Earthquake. And so for one moment, Earthquake, I think, is starting his coming out. But for one moment, the man in the middle, kind of the centerpiece, is Dino Bravo. Yeah, super weird for a guy that you're like, he's still here. Okay, sure. Um why does Jimmy Hart manage so many Canadians? I, I don't know. Isn't that weird? Yeah, I don't know. It's also uh, weird. He calls them the national disaster. <laughs> so close to what he's going to say <laughs> later, but here we are. Um, as long as Earthquake has got that Canadian flag on his trunks, he doesn't matter. So, you know, it doesn't matter. Okay, so we're out to the ring. Folks, this is uh, 1990, and we're about to have a conversation about that 712-pound lift. That was my next note. <laughs> it, that, we'll never stop talking about this. I think it's why Dino Bravo is still employed, honestly, yeah. so they can keep talking about one of the worst segments of 19, 1988, just again and again. I told you. I told you when it happened that this would never die, this conversation, if if they did a Dino Bravo segment for some reason in 2020 it would be all about that weightlifting segment yeah i'll pace hogan slamming andre at wrestlemania 3 <laughs> yes yeah, does oh my god who's talking about that <sighs> it's ridiculous it's, it's unbelievable i think jesse even admits he cheated this time though i think so they're, they're done with it i think oh statue of limitations ran out maybe <laughs> yes. um. <laughs> Oh man, earthquakes on the floor. So that's always a thing. When you got six foot seven guys or big guys, Andre's always done this. Like when they're on the floor, they can reach so far, and it's just it it, it, it makes a threat into the matchup. I think. I think so. I can't even say. I don't know if I paid as much attention to this match yeah. as I should have. I, I saw Ron Garman punching Dino Bravo. It looked great. I saw him like throw Jimmy Hart out, and he landed on Earthquake, who like didn't budge. So that was something. That's pretty much all I got on this yeah. match. <laughs> it's a short match. I think the point of it is, again, Earthquake's coming out. He's going to do uh, that, that splash down that uh, I forgot what the name of his finisher is, but he's going to do it twice on Ronnie Garvin, and, and, and a stretcher is going to be brought out. So I think we're starting uh, the road to Hulk Hogan in some ways. And, yep, we, we get a little seat of that. It's just, um, you know – Earthquake is not really one of my favorite big guys. I think sometimes he does some good things. He's not, like, high on the list for me. I never think his, like, sit-on-you move looks that good. No. Because I feel like so much of it is just, like, clearly not really landing on the guy. And I guess that's good because you don't want to kill somebody. 
but um, it just doesn't look that good. So I don't know. It doesn't excite me the way it maybe does some people. Well, when you think about it, in three years, Joker's going to be doing the bonsai drop from the second yes. row. Yes. Oh, my God. The difference, like, I'll take Yokozuna a hundred times over Earthquake. Yeah, I I want to be open because, like, people smarter than I am are saying pay attention. But, like, in my time watching wrestling, I've never really been impressed with Earthquake. Yeah. You know, I don't even understand what the difference between Earthquake and Typhoon are. Like, to me, they're, you know. <laughs> I won't go that far because we're going to have to watch Tugboat, and then I think you will know the difference. Okay. I mean, I don't know because I don't watch – I don't watch this era much, so mostly what I see is Shark, you know, in WCW. I see some of the, I remember some of the natural disasters as a tag team. They were never, and I, as a kid, they were never anything I looked forward. Anybody that looked alike, like the Nasty Boys, the the, the natural disasters. Like, it's just a team where they just kind of, oh, look, two of this. I didn't always do it for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, I get what you're coming from there. Uh, I will say... There, there are some uh, Big Boss Man Earthquake matches that I actually think nice. are great. So we'll make a point to visit at least one of those. And uh, it's probably the best that I can say for Earthquake is, you know, if you're with Boss Man, it's going to be good anyway. But uh, he, he beat my expectations there. So we'll get to that in time. He's interesting. He's got a sumo background, which blows my mind, you yeah. know. So I want to see. I'm, I'm, I'm keeping my mind open because I know folks have said to do so. And we'll see where it goes with Earthquake in the Legacy series. I'm not opposed to it. I know he's going to sit on Damien as well, and that's going to be a big angle. Nice. Um, you know, so so there'll be some stuff to see with Earthquake. I won't put him at the bottom. You know, I'd probably take him over one-man gang. But, um, you know, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, we're getting a team and boss man at WrestleMania, by the way. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, that turn is coming. All right, I'm looking forward to that. Cool, cool. Yeah. All right, so we got uh, ending the show with uh, Savage and Hogan because they will be having their match to end all matches uh, at uh, the main event. You know, so uh, ref- uh, special guest referee, Jesse Ventura's with Savage. Savage is making it clear there better not be any um, shenanigans. Mike Tyson better not have anybody in his family. He's a Hulkamaniac. He better not screw him over. I think Savage is learning I better cover every base uh, this time around. <laughs> I'm just surprised. I don't think there was one person in this whole finishing stretch that didn't want to fight Mike Tyson. Um, so everybody thinks they can do it. I guess uh, good. Yeah. Good for you if you think you good can. Good luck. <laughs> Mike Tyson will break your face. He he will bite your ear. He's a scary yeah. person. Even I know that. Um, Hogan uh, Hogan himself uh, seems to be complaining about how many times he has to wrestle Randy Savage. Um, Apparently, even the Hulkamaniacs have interrogated him why he didn't wipe out Randy Savage. And I'm like, man, maybe you don't have to wipe out a person. Maybe you can just <laughs> stop wrestling him, for God's sakes. But at least he didn't bring his wife out to taunt him again, so that's something. Yeah, I love Hulk Hogan, who was instigating this feud on camera <laughs> while they were standing beside each other before there was a feud. Starts this off with, thank God the dark cloud will finally fade away. (laughs) (laughs) Again, it's the turbulence, the dark cloud that he put in the sky, and then uh, he wants to complain about it. So (sighs) He plays uh, wordplay with pay-per-views at the time. He was a lone survivor. He rumbled all over the WWF, but apparently the whole time he was doing it, the Hulkamaniacs were saying, why didn't you wipe him out? The pressure that apparently Hogan and the Hogan Maniacs put on each other is is an interesting dynamic. 
Oh, my. Yeah, for sure. Uh, he also threatens Mike Tyson a little bit, so take that yeah. for what you will. He also says their prayers have been answered. This is why I was referencing at the beginning of the show. He says that the Hulkamania's prayers have been answered in conjunction with wanting Randy Savage wiped out. <laughs> so... Guess what? He still won't be wiped out, but here we are. Yeah, he also hopes this is the last time they have to face each other. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, I just watched in 1998 a Hogan Savage match, so sorry, wow. bud. Yeah. Oh, boy. You know, it's funny. This is just a little tidbit for you. The week after the the streak was broken for Nitro, when they teased Austin versus McMahon on Raw, and they broke the streak, the week after that, they put Hogan and Savage in the main event of Nitro, and they they got their they got their win back. So mm. you know, not to say anything like clearly, people are going to be interested in this very far down the line. But um, yeah, it's a joke to be like, oh, this is the last time. So all right, good job, guys. That blows my mind. I thought you were going to say they got stomped. No way, they won again. They beat them. Wow. That is mind blowing, and it's. It's the thing. That's why they they never separate from each other. I don't I don't think you could separate them if you wanted to. Yeah, that was also the night Goldberg beat Raven for the U.S. title. So let's give some praise there as well. Right. It's deserved. What a good what a good time. Right, ninety eight is super good mostly, except for when it's not. But mostly it's super good. So I can't wait to see it from this side. I've never yeah. I've never gone through the Attitude Era or the Monday Night Wars from the prime, WWF primary role. Me neither. Everything after the end of '93 is going to be super fresh to me. Like I've only done bits and pieces from there, so it's going to be a very exciting new world for me. Man, already something felt fresh. I don't know if it's just because we haven't done a Saturday Night's main event in a while, or if it's the '90s, but like. It was just like a nice wind. It was a nice, it's a nice felt sense. I felt good after watching this show. It felt like the kind of release or escape you want it to be. So I deeply enjoyed uh, this early 1990s stuff. Absolutely. So we finish up with Jesse Ventura, who also thinks he can fight Mike Tyson. Mm. Uh, Vince McMahon criticizes his punching technique, and uh, this show ends with Ventura like holding his fist at Vince's face. And for a second, you see the real Vince come through, and he's like. He probably wants to fight Jesse Ventura for yeah. real. Like, I think they would fight each other if it was given a chance, and they would both love doing it. Isn't the shock that they lasted on the, in the booth as long as they did together? <laughs> it kind of isn't, isn't it? Because I think some, like Vince likes to be rough with people, mm. I think. I think he probably liked the Ventura um, sort of like pushed back against him so hard. But it's only a matter of time because Vince likes to be rough until he doesn't, and then he likes to be in control. So, yeah. yeah, it was only ever going to go so far. Oh, yeah, he could be cheering you on, and then you call the, – the line is invisible, and he'll decide when, when it's been crossed. <laughs> For sure. But, no, he liked to be rowdy. I can't remember all the details, but there's some story about him and some wrestlers at a strip club, and he yeah. he got, like – he talked them into, like, suplexing him off the stage or something, and just, like, he likes to be rough sometimes. So that's Vince McMahon. Isn't the story he wanted to be a wrestler and his dad kind of wouldn't let him, something like that? That's why. And Jesse's always pointing out, like, you're not a wrestler. You have no idea what you're talking about. Yep. So, yeah, I think it was, I can't remember if it was LOD or someone else. Somebody did, this according to Bret Hart at least, but someone did their move to him and they really just kind of, you know, they didn't put it in on him. And I think Bret and the Hart Foundation did their move and he let him know, like, I'm going to really, like, I'm really going to get you with this. So... (laughs) Oh, God, Mr. Man, what a weirdo. 
And yeah, there's no uh, foreshadowing with Bret Hart putting hands on Vince McMahon there, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh man yeah they're another pair that probably would have enjoyed fighting each other until they didn't and then yeah. brett will punch vince in the locker room and it won't be fun anymore so you know there's so many rules i think like when vince tells brett he's going over rick flair like you're not supposed to sell it like you just okay and you act like it doesn't matter whatsoever and i think brett did that it's just so weird to, there's all these unspoken rules with vince and wwf yeah for sure I can't imagine that kind of work environment. It's amazing that anybody lasts there as long as they do. Um, I guess the money's good and you get to uh, be a big star. So that's some crazy stuff, though. Yeah, even the ones that last forever have to go away for about six years and then come back again. (laughs) For sure, yeah. And sometimes you last there forever and then you get fired in a pandemic like Gerald Briscoe or some of these guys. So, you know, it is what it is. Did you glance at the WrestleMania 6 card? Oh, yeah. Let me see. I got it up somewhere, I think. Um, WrestleMania 6. Yeah, okay. Yeah, we got Coco versus Rick Martel. That's cool. Mm. Plus Connection versus Demolition. I know that'll be good. Uh, Earthquake against Hercules. That's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Beefcake's going to be perfect, so that sucks. Piper and Brown would probably be a good match. We're going to have to talk about the goddamn blackface, uh, which is not good. So that'll be something. Um, the Hearts wrestle Bolsheviks, that's nothing. Tito and Barbarian, that's cool. Dusty and Savage in that mixed tag match, that's cool. Rock is Orient Express, that's cool. Dino Bravo and Jim Duggan, sounds horrible. Mm-hmm. Um, Jake and Ted, I think, will probably be more exciting than their uh, their other match. It definitely won't be as long. Akeem Bossman, that's cool. Jimmy Snooker versus Rick Rude, that's horrible. <laughs> and then this main event, yeah, I don't know, that's the big question mark. Yeah. Will I dislike it as I did before? Will I see something I didn't in the past? I don't know. Overall, I feel like that's a good card. A couple of real stinkers on there, and then that mysterious main event. I don't know. It'll be interesting, for sure. Yeah, I have no idea how we'll call it. Uh, it in history, it stands tall. I think, if I remember, it's electric, but we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. It is, it's Vince McMahon breaking some rules, though. So mm. this is WrestleMania babyface versus babyface. Uh, in some ways, it's going to allow Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, so there's a lot of important aspects to it. Absolutely. Uh, next time, though, we have the main event, which is Hogan versus Savage and Warrior versus Bravo. Um, so that'll be something. You better believe I'm going to look hard for bonus material because we need something more than those two matches to talk about. If, um, yeah, if you find any good promos to uh, throw them in, because we, we got zero storyline right now. Yeah, I don't know if I would. From what I remember, the Warrior Hogan promos aren't what I call good, yeah. but I'll, I'll look around and I'll see. Um, we are almost out of time. Thank you for listening to the show. Uh, we are on, uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Spectral Gent. Spectral Gent. Good God. Give me a follow. Give me a shout. Also, WWE. Oh, my God, I can't talk. Go to the forums. Go to our website. Go to LOP Radio. It's all great. I am out of words that I can say coherently. So thank you again for listening. Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. Discovered creature Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes
white stripes and salted tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared 